We're all on the spars, boys. <laughs> we're not. We're not one bit happy. That's uh, us on this boys. From are not one bit happy. For immediate reaction from around the grounds, catch League of Ireland late night every Friday, 10 p.m. on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off the Ball. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's half past seven, it's Thursday morning and it's another uh, get the scalpel out and try and dissect exactly what happened in a defeat for the Republic of Ireland last night against Ukraine at home. It's not good, folks. Give us your views. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or, of course, you can uh, use the hashtag OTBAM on any of our platforms. Uh, Shane Hannan is with us. He was at the game last night. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, gents. How are things? Also with us, Colin Buig. Colin, how are you? Jordan Shane. Hello. Um, I mean, it looked like a nice occasion. It's just unfortunate that there were points on offer in a league where uh, winning points actually does have prizes, Shane. But um, <laughs> let's talk about the good stuff first. The, the nice thing that Ireland, that the FAI did for uh, the people of Ukraine who are in Ireland at the moment. There was lots of tickets for Ukrainian who, uh, children in particular who are fleeing the war. Um and maybe it seems a bit churlish to be talking about football under the circumstances, but that's our job. So uh, what was the atmosphere like first before we get to the bad? Yeah, uh, like lovely atmosphere walking to the stadium, it has to be said, lads. Uh, beautiful sun. We were in the, the kind of the, that corner of the East Stand where the, the Havelock Square end is there, where, where all the away fans were. Um, and yeah, there was a definite vibe that there was a lot of Ukrainian kids there enjoying themselves. Maybe hadn't seen, seen a game of football in quite some time, especially in person. Um Really, really nice vibe. Um, and the Ukrainian people were clearly there. A bit of a carnival atmosphere, trying to come together as a country, trying to enjoy something, uh, which they haven't, of course, been able to do uh, in recent times. But, um, yeah, it just just a, just a nice build-up to the game and, and the kind of the couple of um, boisterous Ukrainian men trying to constantly start a Mexican wave for the duration of the of the first half anyway, to, uh, to some luck. But, um, yeah, lovely atmosphere. Really nice gesture as well by the FAI to, to give those tickets out free as well to the Ukrainian fans. Um, certainly contributed to the atmosphere. It was funny, I, w- I was sitting with my brother and my sister at the match and, and my sister hadn't been to a, to a game at the Aviva Stadium at all. She, she remembers as a kid going to a couple of the, the games in the old Lansdowne Road. And uh, like 20 minutes into the match when, when the Irish fans first stood up and, and the whole stand-up for the boys in green chant started for the first time, she was like, why, why haven't... Irish fans been chanting until this point. She was kind of taken aback that the atmosphere didn't really kick in until 20, 25 minutes in when, when the Ukrainians kind of came back into the game. So strange atmosphere from an Irish home fan's perspective, but lovely to see the the, the smiles on the faces of the Ukrainian fans over in that Havelock Square end. All right. Everything else was pretty terrible, right? Like, is there <laughs> is there any redeeming feature here? All the stuff that we thought was good. It's a Jason Knight. Jason Knight was good. Claire the match. Nathan we, Collins is good. We'll get to Two him. Great blocks. Well, I liked... I liked, I liked Nathan Collins' uh, ability to randomly appear in front of the midfielders. I thought, this is good. This yeah. is going to help with the press. But all of the stuff that we've been talking ourselves into was just not true. Ogbené, not very good last night. Connor Robinson, very streaky, as we know. Yeah. And he's currently in a bad streak. And so, totally unreliable. Josh Cullen, grand. Yeah. Jeff Hendrick, that's Jeff Hendrick. That's his level. These, these games here, not playing football. Like, we're we're talking Duffy up as our best attacking threat. Like, head the ball out of the penalty area when the free kick comes in. Mm. Quivine, tell them what to do. You know? Like, you're you're a man. You've become a man. We heard this. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bazuna makes the save. Maybe Bazuna's not letting them come back the way they are. Like... 
but I don't know. Team selection, not great. Like, uh, definitely David Connolly was on with us this week saying, you got to start up with Femi. He's scoring loads of goals. What's the point in bringing him on as a sub? He's, he's not really used to it. And then, you know, maybe his introduction is partially to do with uh, an uptick in performance. But also, it's like Ukraine's second team who are defending a goal, a lead away from home for the last 10 minutes. There's going to be a bit where they sit back and defend. So, like, what did we do to influence the outcome of the game? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be as positive as possible. Do you know what takes me back to the dark old days of the Steve Staunton Raider, the end of the Gia Tra- Giovanni Trapattoni era, where you'd have someone like Eamon Dunphy on saying, oh, this is all just useless. Why can't we modernise football? And then he'd randomly suggest Stephen Quinn should be in the team. And it was like, why can't, we, why can't we just start playing football? So then Stephen Kenny comes in, and at least he's trying that. And we're trying to modernise and catch up with the rest of the world. But the problem is we're just an inferior version of modern football now. So we're kind of stuck in no man's land. We had this identity before where we were... You know, a long ball team, backs against the wall job, would get great results. And we've kind of sacrificed that yeah. uh, for progressive football. But the problem is we're kind of stuck in no man's land now where we're passing for the sake of passing, not very progressive. It's actually not that enjoyable to watch at the moment. But at the same time, before the Armenia kickoff as recently as last weekend... We there excited. was quite well, we a lot of confidence. Because, so that's how well, quickly it's I changed. Think, I think we probably had talked ourselves into a few things that are not true. Callum Robinson is international quality. He probably isn't. Like he, he, He's not playing regularly in the championship. Yeah, but you said he was streaky, which is true. So he goes through, runs a decent form. But I mean, if you're saying like he's not good enough, like who is? This is a collection so that, of a lot of championship that's players. That's the whole point. That's the, like, this is our level. Actually, it's not our level. Uh, our level is Division 3. What's in, the expected level? I mean, what do, you, what do you expect from this generation of Ireland players? Are we way behind where we should be? I'm not sure... Not sure we are. Uh, are we really that far behind where we actually should be the absolute maximum that we can get to? We That's have to qualify for major tournaments. Like if we've done it before, we can do it again. Surely. I mean, that was the kind of the the general atmosphere leaving the pitch last night was, or leaving the stadium was. Like I heard a couple of people talking about the fact that well, Ukraine are Ukraine are a really solid team. They're really good, but the fact is, like Ukraine made ten changes from the Wales game. Their keeper was making his competitive debut. He had. Yeah. They're back three, I think, had three senior caps between them. Like, this was not, uh, we all know, a, a full-strength Ukrainian team whatsoever, which puts it in, into context. And like you mentioned Shane Duffy there, the fact that he's the still the main scoring threat, and even from, like, we tried a, an acrobatic kick towards the end, like, it's not just launched balls in from the head, but even listening to Stephen Kenny after the match, and he's talking about, he felt like the team maybe weren't, you know, played too many long balls, that the passes in the final third weren't good enough. Change something then. Tell the players to stop launching the ball long. Like, I don't know, is it is it Anthony Barry's exit that's created this uh, tactical confusion or what? But it's, there has to be a reason for it in some sense, lads. It. I mean, uh, the lack of performances since Anthony Barry's gone is either hugely Alarming. coincidental or important, you know? Yeah, alarming. Uh, it's um, if if they are connected, that's not great. Now, you know the fact that Belgium were winning six one last night against Poland. Well, uh, this was all happening. It's like, mm, okay, <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of annoying. No, it's worrying. I still go into these games like Armenia and Ukraine, thinking oh, Ireland will get a result here, and they should be. I mean, like the majority of that Ukraine team last night played domestically, and they've played so, such little football this year for obvious reasons. So, really, even this collection of Ireland players. 
should have should have done so much better. Look, I mean, look, like we're we're, 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 a reading asking, in, we're a reading in the year's country. We just want our World Cup moment. You're asking that's all we want. What are our expectations, right? How good was the squad in Euro 2016 that got to Euro 2016 that got out of the group in Euro 2016? Not significantly better than this. But a, better, a, a bit better, but not yeah. significantly better. You wouldn't say it's like sorry, maybe maybe it's miles better, and maybe maybe yeah. like the yeah, number I mean, of minutes Brady, played. Premier League player, but he wasn't phenomenal. phenomenal Premier League player. I, no, phenomenal for Ireland. Uh, Top level player. Well, that's the problem at the moment. Uh, you can't uh, say either he, of those. So he wasn't phenomenal for Ireland either. He, he had a great tournament, but yeah, in, but the, in the qualifiers, like the midfield was Hendrick and McCarthy and Brady. James McLean started against France. Yeah. Daryl Murphy started against France, yeah. and Shane Long, who, like again, as streaky international players go, now they were probably playing a bit more football in the Premier League. But the back four was Coleman, Duffy, Kyo, and Stephen Ward, and Darren Randolph and goals. Mm. Like we're not we're not that far away from. Yeah, I ran up at a great tournament, great match actually, that France game. Somebody scored early third minute penalty. But even in that tournament, it was, you know, the beat the second string Italy in the last group game. Yeah, but then. True, when Wales came on uh, and crossed it in and Mrs. Hitter before that. So it's fine margins. It is so fine margins. The Saturday before kickoff against Armenia, where people thought, we're in a good place under Stephen Kenny. Well, it felt, like it, it felt like we were in a good place. Yeah. But um, was, it a, was it a grand national delusion about the quality of yeah, the, the I players? Think so. If you look at, like, statistically, if you just look at it, I mean, you haven't won a competitive home game in three years, and that was a scratchy win against Gibraltar. Uh, two wins in 17 competitive matches under Stephen Kenny you failed to score in half the games and uh, we, we actually had as many shots overall and on target as Ukraine so statistically if you look at it, if you didn't see the game you thought oh it was quite close you know they just nicked this the scoreline suggested accurate reflection on the game whereas if you watched it it was Ukraine far more comfortable and progressive in possession than Ireland who ran out of ideas very quickly and look one thing you could say it's June in the Nations League and the players are wrecked and a lot of the Ireland players aren't playing regularly enough to have any sort of uh, cohesion but at the same time there's a, a certain level that you expect at international football this is the best that Ireland can offer at the moment and when you watch it last night there's no wonder that so people are furious overnight and this morning again probably more so the morning after Where's the hope coming from? There's no hope Abandon hope Is that oh, it? No, no, no is that it? No, I, I spent most of this time trying to be positive. Well, and I can imagine people are furious, but why would you even nearly be positive about this team? Just well, nothing to be positive about. Well, sorry, Steve I mean... He needs to go like, and all that. Look, uh, we, we are in a scenario where any players who are injured or who are out of form completely ruin the dynamic of the team because it's such a fragile ecosystem. So therefore, not having Andrew Omobamadeli, not having Adam Ida uh, means that we don't have really a plan B we've no target man and we've no ball playing centre back look I don't know I don't know I, like is that enough for us to be completely or sorry the key absentee obviously in all of this is Matt Doherty who is the one player who actually yeah. makes the right and wing back thing work yeah. Coleman is missing too I mean the only thing with Kenny is he's sticking to his guns in terms of his system I mean he made two changes last night and one of them was enforced right wing back uh, but I don't know like Shane what did you what was the sense you got in the stadium what was the feeling among the fans around you <laughs> Order like, frustration. It, yeah, well, it is frustration. But like you, you, you described the Irish people there as you know a nation that that kind of a reeling in the years nation, and that's true. And we're also a nation that loves a scapegoat, uh, maybe rightly so. But like, and I know the comments on 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 the stream this morning are from people listening and watching are going to be largely the Kenny out brigade, yeah. which uh, and often were accused of being uh, Kenny FM and and the Kenny in brigade, but. Does some and, and look? This is this is largely me playing devil's advocate here to an extent. But like, we can't control games. The decision making in the final third is is abysmal. It's toothless at times. Like, 
at what point does does any blame whatsoever come onto this these players? I mean, Dan McDonald making the, the point on Twitter last night that after ten days together, this team are still devoid of ideas, which which is worrying when you put it like that. This this team have, have been working together in camp for the last ten days, and still they look like a team that's just been thrown together at the last minute. Like, of course, you have to give the management team some bla- level of the blame for that. But at what point can you, you know, you throw on Alan Brown and his first touch is off on a couple of occasions. Yeah, he was like, At what point does, he do the players have to take Where some did he play? Sort of, sort of, he was poor. Where was he playing? I, I thought he was playing the right of a three and very right. Well, like uh, old school Beckham style. Because when he came on, That's the, what I the saw co-commentator on the telly was like, oh, he's gone right wing back. I'm like, what? No, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Surely somebody else. Like, it, I, so I don't know. I... I I don't know where he played for the rest of the game, but that's not his position. And that doesn't make any no, sense. But when I you're chasing the game, like, one quick question, right? Uh, Rotherham, who see Chidozzi Ogbeni week in, week out. Yeah, plays him there. Play him on the right wing back. Yeah. And we're like, we're like, well, they can't do that. Look what he's done for Ireland. It's like, well, they see him all the time. And yeah. maybe that was his position. Maybe maybe this is a time where he, you try this out. So we don't think Coleman is going to probably, through age and injuries, for the rest of the next campaign always be available at right wing back Matt Doherty's had his injury problems it might get suspended too what's our third option there mm. try him in this I just but he was determined to stay with his system so if Duffy had scored at the end and it wasn't tipped onto the crossbar is the narrative slightly different this morning there's another one all by Ireland well it's, it's yeah, at least we got something out of the game yeah but it, it, yeah, but, but that's just papers over the cracks surely like Shane Duffy getting another late, late equaliser is just papering, papering over the, these cracks we can't rely on a Duffy equaliser in the 92nd no, I know. Of his and that's where we are with this but it, and it, as you look in a few months' time and Stephen Kenny's still in this job, you see, you look back and it's a 1-0 defeat at home to Ukraine, so it's just another negative result. Whereas if it was one odd, you'd be like, well, there's something there. And that was the problem yeah. last night and it still would have been paper over the cracks. Thing is as well, in this country, like we're, we're an age of massive football lovers, love our good football, talk about the Premier League all the time. And the problem is it's not in any way replicated in this set of players. And people don't expect them to be world beaters but what you do like is a bit of innovation. And Jason Knight stood out last night, the start of the game, when he turned his man, played a lovely true ball, Callum Robinson was offside. And it's little moments like that that you stick your hat on, like Michael Obafemi, right towards the end of the game, skinned his man. And I was thinking, geez, you see this so rarely from Ireland players. You know, that bit of innovation and that bit of bravery in possession. And it's little nuggets like that that you're trying to cling on. But then overall, you just look at a team who pass the sideways and pass backwards are quite, decent at retaining possession but you just don't believe in them that's the that's the worry you don't believe in them and Kenny is so determined to stay to the system that well, we are kind of stuck in no man's land that's the problem now and, uh, you know we are chiselling off decades of uh, two decades of being told we're no good do you know yeah and so like and Kenny's going the other way you know post match yesterday does that system not need does that system not need changing lads like you looked at Ukraine last night you know, turning turning to that five three two out of possession, we were swarmed out of it in midfield, and we knew pre game like the, the the build up. David Connolly last week even saying it, we knew we were going to be swarmed out of it in midfield in advance of kickoff but because did, of he, our he, system. He, sorry, he did pick Knight to help with that, and you could see Nathan Collins pushing forward to try and add extra bodies there. So yeah. that they had clearly decided that they were going to be four central when we needed to, and like. If you think we should change the system, I'd be interested to hear to what. Well, this is this is the thing. Like, it, it is Stephen Kenny's job in order to to get results. And lads, this is a results based business to change the system. And if 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 it needs to be done mid game, like this is my worry that maybe the mid game decision making by by the management team 
leaves a little to be desired because as you said Alan Brown coming on we didn't really know where he was playing the outlets just weren't there Abafemi yes added a bit of liveliness when he came off the bench of course um, but they just I don't think I don't think the conversation like you, you listen to Stephen Kenny's post-match um, interviews and he's talking about the passing being sloppy he says we didn't pass the ball forward enough is enough being said to these players and communicated to these players mid uh, like mid-game you even mentioned Cuevin Kelleher there he is a man now. He needs to step up. He needs to be able to speak and communicate. It's the most important position on the pitch in terms of communication. You probably see a little bit more of it when Gavin Mazzunu is in goals, but it starts from the back. And the leadership and communication, I didn't see much communication between those Irish players last night. You go to a Sunday league match with a well-organised team on a weekend and you will see plenty of communication from the back. And you don't see much of it from this Irish team, and I don't know why. Um. We're better than Sunday League, right? I think that we we should we should definitely temper that. But I do I do think though that if you're calling for a different a different system, we need to be able to have discussions about what that might look like. And so I don't really want us to go back to four four two with uh, gelatinous glue, big man up front, knocking the ball down for it'll be Obafemi. Let's face it, um, with mm-hmm. Callum Robinson as sub to come on to to change things up for the last fifteen minutes with McLean on the left, and I don't know. I don't know who on the right and two central midfielders like do we have two I mean can Jason Knight play in a two in the middle I don't know Hendrick can't anymore is it Cullen plus plus Knight is that or is it Malumbi plus Knight in a four four two? and then yeah. like I don't know that, do you bring Darrow Shea in there as, a, as an almost a holding player with Knight as well like I don't you almost need to, to have to just swarm that midfield because that's where we seem to get get driven out of games I, I do think that um, uh, three at the back with if you have Collins Darrow Shea and Omar as those three like that would be interesting into the future where you've got three ball players who can all step forward and can all bring the ball forward it does remove the Duffy set piece which yeah. you know our biggest threat but sometimes, sometimes maybe you've just got to take a risk. Well, this, you know? Okay, we're in a results-based business, as Shane was saying. So you get rid of our biggest threat, our centre half, you Shane Duffy, and then then we're building for the future. But was that the whole point of Stephen Kenny at the end of Martin O'Neill era? Was uh, can we just go back to bit? Can we start again this whole project and at least try to play a bit of fo- football? Like, but now we're getting to a stage where the football's not being played and the results aren't either. Was there an acceptance that the results weren't coming at the start, but at least we're trying to play a bit of football? I thought, was the, I thought that was the whole point with Kenny. Like, yeah, it's true, Colin, but also, like, the concern with me now is, like, we have this game against Scotland on, on Saturday, and look, we have live commentary of that as well, and off the ball on Saturday, and I'm worried about it. Um, like, oh, yeah. at what point? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the, all, the, all the positivity, where does it go after Saturday if we lose at home to Scotland? I mean, it's going to be bad. Like, you would hope, though, that there's enough rivalry there to inspire the team and the crowd to get into that in a way that, like somebody made the point, very hard for the crowd to be particularly raucous last night going, oh, screw you, we really hope that you lose yeah. this game. It's like, actually, we're really sorry for the, the shit that's going on in your lives and this is not really that important tonight. Yeah. So, no, it's not quite the, it wasn't the bear pit of Eva. No, I yeah. noticed that actually, yeah. It was quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't many tackles flying in, yeah. I noticed that big time. I wonder, is he gone this time next week if there's two more defeats to follow? I think that would be ridiculous. I think that would be absolutely ridiculous. I think it would be ridiculous. ridiculous. I do, I do. Do you think it would be ridiculous, Shane? The, like, his, his contract is through to the end of the Euros qualifying campaign. This is the Nations League. 2024, yeah. Like, our record in the Nations League has been 
abysmal under all the managers yeah. and no one ever really got fired because of the Nations League results. Okay, so are we overreacting? No, well, I, I think, I think Jerry, you're right. Like, I don't think he will be. I don't think he will be sacked. We can still talk about the fact that some people are going to suggest he should be if they, if they lose to Scotland. Like, the target was to win this Nations League group. That's what Stephen Kenny said himself. So if they, if they manage to lose their opening three games... Clearly, they're behind where he thought they were. They were like the Armenia game was was a was say say you put the Armenia game down to a freak and it wasn't. It was just a terrible performance on the night. But then to lose to Ukraine and Scotland would be it wouldn't be a nail in the coffin for Stephen Kenny. He's not going to lose his job. They're going to give him this campaign. But the reality is, this is a third campaign for Stephen Kenny and this management team. So, like you you always give managers excuses in their first campaign. Of course, they need time. Second campaign, you start to say, okay, we want to start seeing some progress here. But in the third campaign, that's when results need to start happening. And, and look, if they lose to Scotland on Saturday, and, and I, I would be concerned for this Irish team on Saturday, I'd like to think, the same as yourself, Jed, that they could maybe up it, given the, the little Celtic rivalry there. And, and but the that's based on hope. Better. You know, that, that, that is literally based on hope, not evidence. There's, there hasn't been a, enough evidence of progression in this. Like, we all said, let's judge them now and the judgement has to start now and the judgement after these two games is going to be pretty harsh and deservedly so it's, this is international football this is, this is big boy pants and yeah. you know um, what doesn't help either for people who aren't for Kenny's we don't get hammered so at the end of O'Neill it was obvious the change had to come remember the Denmark obliteration afterwards and Martin O'Neill was trying to stoke they say afterwards we were well beaten yeah but we're, these games are kind of close on paper if you didn't watch one Stephen Kenny game and you're a football fan. You're like seeing how Ireland got on. It's like, oh yeah, they're kind of there and thereabouts all the time. Like, you know, that's the thing with it. Well, I think it's I think it's more nuanced than the other thing is the actual narrative is in the country where there's a massive, massive split. I don't think there's a massive split. I think a lot I of people. There's a huge. Split. <clears throat> I think a lot of people, and certainly the match-going fans, have been on Kenny's side the whole way through, and they're desperate for him to succeed. And there's a, a wellspring of hope that we can play more progressive football, and that we can get this group of uh, of journeymen to perform better than the sum of their parts which is which is what the alchemy of international management is supposed to be so you look around the world and you see mediocre teams getting out of their groups at major tournaments because they have a great togetherness they have a clear identity and they're doing something that they all believe in like uh, having said that most of the teams around us who are similar sized all have one world class player or two world class players Scotland have Andy Robertson uh, which ultimately wasn't good enough to get them to the uh, World Cup Wales have Gareth Bale which was good enough and Ukraine had Zinchenko and that wasn't quite good enough but they're like clearly a better team than us so we don't have those players at the moment we nearly did but we don't and as a result we have not very much to hang our hats on So these match going fans hugely supportive of Kenny so where are they at the moment all I'm reading here all I see but they're, everybody but how, they want them out so well, where how is there that much of a split because the people who want him out are the ones who are going to text in this morning the people who are going to defend him are like this what? is the time to defend him well, what's then your argument come back in. what's your argument though well what, what we've been what? talking about for like 20, 23 minutes it's, of, it's difficult it's, it's actually I think it's way more and how do you have nuanced. conviction around that argument when we got beaten by Armenia and we just got beaten okay. at home by Ukraine so it's, where do it's we, hard where would, where would we go now so you, you sack Stephen Kenny hypothetically in the next week because there's two more negative results to follow in the next seven days. Okay, so what would the plan be then? 
and I, people will say it doesn't matter what the plan is you just have to get rid of this is it really that disastrous at the moment no it's not and it's not down to one man that it's a disaster no it's it's it really isn't and we can talk about uh, we can talk about the fact that the domestic league has been uh, considered the problem child by the parent organisation and that it doesn't get investment from the national broadcaster at a level that we, we spend more money in the Champions League than we do as taxpayers to watch it the, than we do on the, the League of Ireland all of that feeds into the fact that the national team isn't where it should be right but specifically his job is to get us out of this group <clears throat> or uh, you know to qualify for the next tournament and there's an opportunity which is now over from the Nations League it's more likely that we're going to be relegated than we're going to win this group now you would have to say um, you know for the next manager coming in being in the third tier and qualifying from that would actually be more likely but I mean would you back us against North Macedonia at the moment probably not or Georgia uh, like lads I think that's the I think that's the, the point at which like you, it's, it's all well and good saying you know some people call in for Stephen Kenny's head if they lose to Scotland I, I think if they're relegated from this League of Nations group given the, the fact that the ambition was to get promoted to start getting regular home games against the top tier teams which of course is going to bring in a lot of money if then you're you're talking about playing teams below this current level that we're at, that's that's when it's a disaster. Like I, w- I was in um, I was in Slattery's pub near near the Aviva last night after the match, chatting to a couple of random Irish fans, and and a couple of them were Kenny in still to this point. But yeah. as you said, they're they're finding it very difficult to come up with with an argument at which to keep him because if you lose to the likes of Luxembourg and Armenia, it's tough to concoct an argument. You can say keep patient. You can say give the manager time. But the reality, the reality is, it is a results-based business. Stephen knows that himself. As I said, it's a third campaign. To, to hear Stephen even after the match talking about the the, are you, the are you, uh, Ukrainian are you goal the Slovenia game, game as a, uh, I don't, I, I mean, it's not really a third campaign. It's a first full campaign properly. Yeah, yeah. To, to be fair to Stephen, look, but at the same time, he's what had what twenty twenty. Five or six. Look, games. He's, he's not inexperienced anymore. He really is. It, there's no all of the all of the bits. We did say, judge him on this, and the evidence is not good. That's the problem. Like, this was supposed to be an opportunity for us to spend time together, catapult the team forward, be brave, look good, and we don't look good. And we're not being brave. It's it's the opposite of, of what we wanted to happen is happening. And you can't dress that up. So, But sacking him, as opposed to trying to get through this and giving him the opportunity to solve the problem that he has, that's nonsensical. That it would be nonsensical to sack the manager now. For an organisation that, let's face it, at the moment, is still not a shining beacon of how to run a sports organisation. Where's the sponsor for the men's senior international team? Like, what, what's going on with that? The director of football, apparently the appointment is ready to be announced and a, a deal has been done, but we're just still, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, there's a, like there's, the FAI have enough on their plate at the moment. They've somehow managed to screw up what's going on at Daily Mount. We still don't know what, what's going to happen with that. Like what? So, is football in Ireland? Well, they're not too busy to get rid of him. Is if they it, wanted to get. Is rid it of ready him. for a distraction of like we need a new manager of the international senior international team? I'm well, not sure. Look, this lack of sponsor, like that's more pressure on Kenny again. So you're hardly going to attract uh, an undefense sponsor from last night's showing. I mean, I, I, it's not his job to get the sponsorship. That's the chief executive and the commercial director, and that that crowd, the that commercial director the will, be, will go. Ah, but look at look at the team on the pitch. So well, who's going? What brand is we going to get well, behind that? I mean, you know, it's still a, it's still a really interesting collection of young Irish men who are out there representing us, and it's like you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, right, 
Il Pacino 88 terrible indictment of Irish football is that we simply cannot do anything positive with the ball when we have it two main questions is there any real progression and two what's the point in continuing with these tactics if there's no results do you think it's still you know too too soon to announce everything is a failure like it's just sport is tricky we're in the middle of a really bad run at the moment and uh, maybe it starts to turn around but we need to start turning around pretty quickly we need to see something the first 10 minutes right first 10 minutes you're like oh we're doing (laughs) something here we're doing something look it looks great sign him up fella yeah look if you watched the first 10 minutes last night and then just looked at the results of Kenny's time you'd be like yeah they're not bad they're in a decent shape uh, can I ask at what stage do we have to start looking at Kenny asks Paddy Vaughan had a free pass I haven't seen a progress in style if any previous managers had his current record they will be slaughtered well he has been slaughtered there's been a campaign against him from about five matches in to get rid of him from a bunch of hacks like there just has been and there's been constant people from the very second he got the job saying he wasn't good enough so you're not paying attention if you're saying he hasn't been slaughtered he has been slaughtered by loads of people but he also managed to rally people behind him because there was an uptick and there was hope and there was promise but those players are not delivering at the moment on the promise uh, right I'm going to play some um, Jason Knight here he was uh, this is they, they need to change it to make it the Ireland player of the match when they're announcing it Ireland's player of the match is as opposed to the player of the match is because we all know that that's not the case now it used to be the excuse used to be that sponsors only wanted to um, have an Irish player but the sponsor isn't there at the moment so no don't know what the crack is. So let's listen to Jason Knight in conversation. Jason, how frustrating a night was that? Yeah, frustrating, disappointing to for the result. Um, I think there were some positives in the game, but first and foremost, the result is what we wanted and, and we didn't get it tonight. The first 15 minutes, you really led the charge and Ireland flew out of the blocks and it felt as though goal was inevitable. And it just sort of fell away very quickly. Can you, can you put your finger on what changed from how Ireland were playing after 15 minutes to how they were playing after half an hour? Um, no, not really. Look, you have your good moments in, in games and your, and your bad moments. Look, Ukraine are a good team as well, so they're going to have their moments. But um, I think, like I said, we need to, when we're on top, we need to sort of get that first goal and um, that first goal is vital especially in international football that, that first goal is vital and we've been on the the receiving end of that the last couple of games as well so it's, it's not it's not nice They made a lot of changes but they still had a lot of experience particularly in the middle of midfield how did you find it in terms of trying to get on the ball and trying to really influence the game? I think um, I had I had a good amount of ball um, I think I can demand more from myself going forward still I need to get more goals and assists I had a couple of chances that I should have took but Look, that's football, and I'll try and I'll try and do better. It's a, a an unfortunate record that Ireland have in the Nations League in terms of still waiting for a first win, but also just two goals. And it felt as though goals were starting to come easier at the over the last year. What's gone on over the last couple of games that not a huge amount of chances have been created, with the exception of maybe the last sort of ten, twelve minutes of matches? Oh, I don't know. Look, we've had a good twelve months or eighteen months, and and this this couple of games shouldn't define us, but. We need to go and, and react on Saturday and uh, get a good result and get a good performance with that as well. Stephen had stated that the aim was to win the Nations League group to get promotion and all the benefits to go with that. It's a very different scenario that's in play now. You're probably looking at avoiding relegation and looking at it in a different way. Have you spoken about that and what you want to get from the next two games? No, we haven't We haven't spoken about it. Look, we're, we're just looking forward now. We need to go into Saturday with full confidence and full of energy and try and get a, a really good result especially at home What about confidence when you think back to coming into the squad last week where it was with those positive results to, to where it was and we just left the dressing room there has it, has it been affected? 
No, look, I think there's still confidence in the group. We've had we've had a couple of knockbacks in the last the last week or so, but we're still a confident group. We've still got some very very good players, and um, we're going to go into Saturday raring to go and, and try and get a good reaction. You know, when defeats come, there'll be questions about every part of the setup. In terms of the players' belief in what Stephen is trying to do, what would you say about that? No, it's it's still fully behind the manager. I don't think that can be questioned. The, the gaffer and the staff have been great with us, especially us young lads coming through. They've given us a chance, and, and I don't think that being, can be questioned. Um, look, we're, we're just looking forward to Saturday and, and trying to put it right. Yeah, Jason Knight's going to be in the Ireland team, I'd say, forever yeah. from now on, like, if he's fit. Forever. I mean, we said that about Callum Robinson a couple of months ago. Well, say that about Ogbeni's goal scoring form that we finally had a goal scoring striker. Well, it changes, I mean, you know. I don't know. I think that, like, he, he played very well, though. He's a cut above. He is a cut above, and um, certainly he'd be in the team. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Willa Callum, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I suppose this was the worry when the Kenny referendum was happening, lads, at the tail end of 2020 and into 2021, where there were some people who felt that, you know, no matter what happened results-wise, this was about a longer-term project, and therefore Stephen Kenny had to be around for the European qualifiers to try and get into the tournament in 2024, and there was almost a feeling among some people that a blank check was required, and uh, that we almost had to put the short term of results to one side, and now we've seen two games back-to-back where we've gone backwards at a rate of knots by comparison to the way that the Republic of Ireland were playing, uh, particularly at the tail end of the qualifying campaign, the performance at home against Portugal, even the friendly against Belgium where there was plenty of hope and uh, the way that the attack seemed to be coming together with Benny and Robinson um, back for the games against Azerbaijan and against Qatar there were plenty of reasons to be optimistic but now unfortunately the Republic of Ireland have gone back to the type of form that we saw in the kind of opening dozen games of Stephen Kenny's tenure and the results like when you put it down as simple as it is six defeats and six draws in Nations League games and just the two goals scored uh, probably tells its own story and the most frustrating thing I think about this window was the fact that everything aligned quite nicely with Ukraine and Scotland's qualifying fixtures for the World Cup uh, being pushed back it meant that both teams were going to be in a position where they had hugely emotionally and physically demanding games around the Republic of Ireland fixtures and we saw effectively Ukraine's B team last night a series of you know, under-21 players who only get a handful of caps playing at the Aviva Stadium. Ten changes from their defeat against Wales last weekend. You know, Scotland are probably going to make changes as well. I don't know whether it's going to be a bit of a mix and match maybe uh, from them for this Saturday at the Aviva Stadium. And then you mix in the Armenia game where whatever about maybe winning the game, we would have been expected not to lose away from home against Armenia. The feeling was that this was set up to try and get the Nations League campaign underway with at least, I would think, two wins out of the three fixtures. That has not happened, and that heaps the pressure on. As you guys have said, really it's now about looking over the shoulder about relegation from the Nations League, as opposed to at the outset where Stephen Kenny was talking about being competitive and potentially even getting promoted to League A. I think that was always a little bit too optimistic, and obviously a manager is going to come out and say that at the outset. Is he, though? But, is he? I actually think that was a misstep. That was a big misstep. It was like, oh, we can win that group. It's like, just, just talk about we're going to everything is building towards the Euros campaign that's what the plan is as opposed to trying to win this group because we haven't won a game in this division we didn't get relegated on technicality from this division mm-hmm. ideally we'd be in one division lower than this and playing against a, a standard that is closer to our standard at the moment and I, I think that was a mistake to be honest and um, they might have uh, might have retracted I, I- that 
I think even League C will be difficult right now, though. Jared I agree. Based on the I agree. In the first two games, you know, I agree. Like, you know, we struggled against both Bulgaria and Finland last time round too. Um, to play against teams around about that level was looking even at just the fixtures from during the week, and I was thinking the Republic of Ireland will probably struggle to win games in this group currently. And there is that feeling that this could be a real damn squib if there's a poor result against Scotland on Saturday. It'll really then be a case of trying to dig in later this year to make sure that they stay in Group B. And look, there was the very juicy thing at the end of uh, Group B if potentially the Republic of Ireland had done well um, it could have led to a potential playoff for the European Championships in 2024 it would have been a very very nice safety net based on the fact that a lot of teams in this group are probably going to qualify through the traditional route so um, that seems to be up in smoke after two games like I, I actually disagree with, with with that what you said there, Jared. Like, why 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 wouldn't he speak of ambitions to win? Like, he's he's almost saying because it makes a rod for your back, and it means that everybody in the comments is like, "Oh, you told us we were going to win this, and now know, you haven't won it. Who are you? Who are you not, anyway?" He, he, That's what he's happens. not saying it for the benefit of the fans. He, I feel like he, Stephen Kenny was saying that for the benefit of the players, making them believe. You know, he, the players aren't stupid. They're reading his comments in the papers or whatever in the media. If they see their manager saying, "Yeah, of course we can go on and win this 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 league, this UEFA Nations League group," the players might start to believe it. He probably he might not have thought when he was saying it that they actually would go on to win the group, but it might just instill a little bit of confidence and faith. And okay, but it's a high wire team. act. It's a high wire act, and surely that comes from the work that's done on the training ground, and that comes from the the man management skills that we hear are so good, you know, and that comes from their internal motivation. That comes from Seamus Coleman, and that comes from the kids infusing the team with confidence and energy. Like. I, I get the point you're making. I just think it's far less relevant uh, in international football than it is. Now, having said that, when Trapattoni was telling everybody these players really, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm cutting my cloth, that, that, I, that must have had a... I don't know if that had a negative impact or not because that was like... He was talking to Robbie Keane and Damien Duff, you know, and uh, and Shea Given and like Champions League players who were being told they weren't good enough. Maybe they responded to that with a screw you, we're going to show you. Yeah. This, these, this, this has turned out. I think to be, it, it, and the reason I'm talking about it, Chain, is because it's a, a common theme coming through in the comments. Very quickly, some comments because seven minutes past eight. Il Pacino eighty eight says, "If you want Kenny out, then name a replacement." Uh, Paul Mallon says, "I think they should have gone for Chris Coleman when they could have." It's not the Chris that usually comes up, Jared. It's usually Chris Hewton uh, that people yeah. talk about. He had his uh, advisor role with Ghana uh, through the recent um, African Cup of Nations. But yeah, I saw I saw Chris Chris Hewton tweets again at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that you know Nottingham Forest had an incredible change in fortunes after Hewton left the club last year. Yeah, he seems to be the name that comes up every time. Uh, it was Mick McCarthy before that, obviously. Genuinely, what's the plan like? A three-four-three with two attacking centre midfielders, a false nine that doesn't drop back, wingers bombing it into the box with no target. Uh, James McCullough asks is Kenny failing, falling into the same trap as McCarthy and previous Ireland managers by staying loyal to out of form players he's definitely staying loyal to players who aren't playing international football and that's a very good point by the way on both that I think on the system too which is that the idea of going to three at the back and deploying the two wing backs was almost primarily to try and get the best out of Enda Stevens and Matt Doherty Enda Stevens has obviously had a very difficult campaign because of the injuries that he had at Sheffield United. He's out of form currently. I don't think he played particularly well over the last two games. I'd expect James McLean to probably start against Scotland at the weekend. And at right wing back, the Republic of Ireland have really missed Matt Doherty for these last few fixtures. And again, Matt Doherty appeared to be coming into form before he got his injury for Tottenham. I don't know if Seamus Coleman is the right player to play right wing back and even last night his leadership seemed to be missed on the pitch just even uh, trying to drive the team forward when the game got a bit static but the idea was to try and get Coleman in at right centre back now it would appear that Nathan Collins fits very well into that position but the Republic of Ireland don't really have 
great options at right wing back because well, it's very early for Festy. I thought Cyrus Christie was very conservative with his use of the ball last night. And as a result, we're not getting the most out of the wing backs, which was the whole idea of going three at the back in the first place. Yeah, I definitely would have, wouldn't have minded seeing uh, Chitazik Benny playing there last night just to see what happens when he plays there at international level. Perhaps that's his best position, we don't know. Uh, Butcher, we are no good, says Powell74. I mean, there's certainly a view out there. That's, yeah. that's the people are kind of saying that uh, you know, and like, how 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 do we get good? Just be good. Just yeah, tell, tell that's them, the hey, problem. You, 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 and you. You be good, okay? You do whatever uh, uh, it is you need to do to be good, uh, and we'll be grand. And it lots of a load of that is out of Stephen Kenny's control too. Like, remember how well Jamie McGrath had been playing, and like we all spoke about how excellent he was, particularly away from home against Portugal. Then he gets a move where he had been going well in Scotland, goes to Wigan, can't get a game. And then, really, you can't include McGrath in the squad because he's getting no first-team football. Well, he can't control the likes of Hendrick, injuries and Callum Robinson going out of form. He, he picks Hendrick when he's not playing football, do you know? And he picks Duffy when he's not playing football. So why is it a different standard for Jamie McGrath? I, I understand that they have a, a you know, 50-whatever number of caps. And so, I do get it. It's just that it's sometimes it seems like it's different rules for different players. And well, we know why he picks Duffy. The Duffy's the biggest threat. Well, but isn't it just as well that um, Darty and Coleman didn't play last night if that result was still to happen because then we'd have nothing to hang our hats on well, is, it just, so at least we have that if you, Myler was really interesting right. yesterday when he said like I would do whatever it was the be all and end all for me was playing for Ireland if he dropped Duffy would Duffy force a move if he dropped Hendrick would Hendrick force another move to a club where he's going to play football week in week out I don't know do you know Hank wants to get in that too yeah what do you think Hank Nice. He's having a good shake. I don't think Ricky likes the idea of Shane Duffy having to force a move. What can he not? Look, at different stages of the season. Like Callum Robinson was in good form uh, for West Brom at different stages of the season. Then didn't finish the season particularly well. And when Callum Robinson was playing well for his club, he was playing really well for the Republic of Ireland. Like remember how well he played, uh, particularly in those fixtures against Qatar and Azerbaijan, where Ireland actually took the ball in the front foot. Problem is, I think for the last two games, uh, the Republic of Ireland carried very little threat. I mean. Realistically, outside of Robinson hitting the ball into the side netting in Yerevan and the Shane Duffy chances, say, you know, when the ball was crossed in, he went for the most audacious of efforts over his head. The Republic of Ireland created very little outside of set pieces and crosses outside of that. In, in general play, the Republic of Ireland created nothing in Look, it's over true. two hours of football. It's true. I mean, that is the history of us watching football. You know, with the exception of the Roy Keane era, in particular that qualifying campaign, when we... I'd say we scored almost every chance we created so we weren't creating a million chances and we did have Robbie Keane and Damien Duff in the side uh, in their pomp so look we, I mean it's not uh, it's it's our curse to watch football where there are no chances created for us and uh, we're, we're living a constant Groundhog Day at the moment um, uh, like what happens if the penalty gets given is everything completely different the team with, infused yeah, with confidence yeah, Duffy scores the winner with the header are we still saying well, well we're not playing well the football's terrible, the system's no good, not getting the best of our players and the results are actually masking no, what's I, happening. I, but then at the same time, people say it's a results business. Yeah, I think Very hard to please everybody here. Like The, yeah, the problem is that we're doing, the problem <laughs> is we're doing uh, seemingly neither at you the match, moment. You match going fan, Th- that, your expectations. By the way, Kenny's saying, Kenny saying he wants him in the group is, is no bad thing. He's trying to rebalance the post-traumatic stress of the Trapatoni era. Know, where there's they a way to do it without making it off your back. So that nah, the it, that's the hindsight. That's your hindsight not, talking. We said it at the time. We said it at the time. 100. Did you go back and watch? If we tapes, went back though, and you, you would say, I, "I'm not sure about this. That's making it off your back because everybody's going to come oh. for you." Lo and behold, as night follows day, that's not what they're coming. The keyboard for. warriors are coming. Oh, he said we're going to win the group, and then yeah. we're going to get relegated. What's going on? I'm telling you. Uh, no, Noel Cal says Nations League are basically friendlies anyway. That's the spirit. Uh, 
Kenny's trying to bring a bunch of green kids through to international football, says Fergus Keogh. Let him at it, because Big Sam will just pick 11, 28-year-old English rejects and play six to back to grind out one nils. Do you know what? Yeah, and will we be happy then? Because then we're going to the major tournaments. I was just about to ask. Reeling in the ears. Is is that that who we are? Uh, English cast-off rejects grinding out one nils. Is that actually what you want to be? Is that when you were a kid in the back garden, you were dreaming of being, you know, like Kevin... Davis esque. <laughs> is that what you wanted? Maybe it is. Right. Well, we didn't even get to talk about the hurling pot. I presume it was good this week. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty saucy uh, based on the weekend uh, just gone by because we had a monster hurling final for the ages, probably the best one in uh, modern memory, at least between Clare and Limerick, which has really kind of wet the appetite for the idea of a potential trilogy if this was to be an All Ireland final between Clare and Limerick. And I think you know, based on the evidence of the two provincial finals from last weekend, there's a very good chance that they'll meet again. You know, Clare have not been beaten in 70 minutes in the three meetings so far this year with Limerick, which has to give them an awful lot of hope. And on the flip side Limerick have just become their first team since the 1930s to go four in a row and they've achieved it without Keane Lynch being available since a few minutes into the second game of the round robin so Limerick maybe even have more improvement uh, Seamus Flanagan is back in 100% fit and absolutely firing last weekend we had a kind of a superstar performance uh, from Tony Kelly for Clare uh, which you know bodes well I think for both teams uh, Clare run aside the draw which I think they'll feel they can qualify from an All-Ireland final from uh, they've got effectively what we would call the uh, Leinster side of the draw they'll most likely play Wexford if Wexford overcome uh, the Joe McDonough beaten finalist Kerry away from home this weekend yeah. in the quarterfinal next week and then it will be Kilkenny in the semi-final which is a good route for Clare OK we know all that what I haven't heard is the, the spice between the two lads because uh, basically the instruction from Scahill last week was go easy on me go easy on me horse <laughs> did, he, did, did, did he go easy on him or did he, <sighs> did he batter him uh, no, I, I, I think Paul Murphy's a nice man he's a, he's a nice man he's a good man sometimes maybe, maybe, maybe a bit too nice this time well I mean he good, left all, all, really all the dark arts were on the field it turns out yeah, exactly. No, I think the fact that Galway were so poor in the game itself meant oh, that... Oh, he patronised you know, him. Is that, is that? It's like, um, I, don't, I, I don't respect you enough to, to go at you now. I, I'm, I'm going to be nice to you. Was it that? I think there was a certain amount of Kilkenny Q-tourism oh. as well, where Paul was incredibly uh, quietly confident last week about Kilkenny. So we were talking about how well Galway had done, Galway had done nothing wrong. Kilkenny were so poor against Wexford, the use of the ball was poor, they were reverting back to type and it was long ball and it wasn't working out. And all the matchups seemed to be set up in a way that Galway were going to win. Yeah. And Paul just had that feeling, it's like Kilkenny will adapt, Brian will find a way. And there you are, 22 Leinster titles now for Brian Cody as player and coach, 74 for Kilkenny. It's unmatched dominance in any province for a single championship. And Kilkenny have done three in a row. Quietly, they may have done it, but uh, they were very, very impressed with the weekend. So as a result, uh, Paul Murphy was just kind of smug as a Cheshire cat. The cat, uh, but cat not the necess- Can but someone not tell necess- me what was said in the handshake? Does anybody know? I don't think it was the handshake column. I I don't think the issue was the handshake. I think the issue was that Henry Shefflin had to do all of the effort to to get across the front court. Ah, so well, get over yourself a bit too. Like, there's a bit of get over yourself for that, you know? What I saw. Come on, come on. I saw Shefflin go over and say, oh, well done. Better team won. And he expected something similar in retort, which, and then I think Cody was like, thanks. Yeah, and well, at him. that's it. And why Shefflin made such a huge deal of shaking his head and walking away because he knew the camera was going to go to him. Yeah. I want to know what was said. There's there's a way of doing things, lads, and it's the winning manager goes over and seeks. Ah, they 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 meet in the middle. They meet in the middle. 
Well, they, you see, they didn't meet. They didn't meet in the middle either because Henry Shefflin went around, shook hands. No, with the no, 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 no. Shefflin stood there. Shefflin stood there with his coat. Stood, stood, there, stood he, there for ages. Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So there's a pair of them in at will, and it's it's been very one sided. I think poor Cody. For the, for the first time in my life I feel a little bit of sympathy for the I most know. successful man that there's ever been in the game Cody <laughs> was looking for anyone to shake their hands he anyone was, he, was. he was like, he was like Hank like he was going around in circles at one point just to avoid Shefflin <laughs> in any way oh, it is <laughs> box classic. office stuff it is, it is absolute box Brian office stuff Brian Cody did the alpha thing as well lads he left his feet effectively planted when Henry Shefflin was going over to him and that's the reason I think that Henry yeah. Shefflin was shaking his head well, he, there wasn't even know. a there wasn't even a 90-10 there wasn't even a 90-10 there wasn't even a 90-10 Come on, win the game! Your job is to win the game. You can't be giving out about the handshake afterwards. It was what was said. It was the fact that there was no actions taken by Cody. It was the nothingness of it all. But I have never seen such a deliberate shake of a head. Oh, when totally. he, walked he knew totally, he totally. knew the camera was going to be hope, on him. I hope they nurse this grievance a lot over the winter, and next year we get it, and it's even better. Please let everybody stay in, in situ. Please, whatever happens, let Cody be there next year, let Sheffield be there next year, and it's going to be the greatest thing that we've ever seen. The camera operators know, knew what was said. Well, I, I, I haven't heard what was said. And maybe Will is right. I, I just want to know they, what was said. Kind of, I, I saw somebody giving out. Was it Hector was giving out about, oh, let's see the scenes of the celebrating players? No, we've seen them no, all no, celebrating no, a gazillion no, no, times. No, that's it's frustrating. Still uh, don't yeah. cut away from it. Whatever you do, don't cut away from it. Anyway, we're way over time. 18 minutes past eight. We've got to take a quick break. We're back talking Formula One next. OTB AM 20 minutes past 8 here you're very welcome back to OTB AM if you've missed anything we've been talking about the Republic of Ireland we'll talk about it again a little bit later on with Dion Fanning and um, you know you can give us some considered views as opposed to just the first thing that comes to your mind like some people have been doing in our YouTube and I'm only joking get it off your chest that's what we're here for um a little bit of mourning after the Republic of Ireland's defeat last night. Now, to move to something entirely different, I'm delighted to say Jess McFadden is with us to talk to us about the Formula One carnival as it continues on. Jess, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hi, yeah, very, yeah, sorry, very well. You caught me just before I'm actually... So, <laughs> p- apologies. Shane, you far away there? <laughs> He's lost his earphones, Jess, so we can't hear you, but uh, but I can hear you loud and clear. Um, <laughs> okay, hi. Jess, good morning. I suppose we need to bookend Monaco and look ahead to Baku this morning, but um, the talk is Sergio Perez. Everyone is talking mm. about Sergio Perez. It was all Max Verstappen, and now all of a sudden, Red. Wow, the Gremlins are with us this morning. He was, he was going to ask about Sergio Perez there, Jess. T- tell us about um, what's going on with him at the moment and, and why this uh, bubbling up has happened. Yeah, I mean, the past two races for Sergio Perez can't have really been any more different. Um, Monaco, he's coming off the back of a of a win, um, which is amazing. It's going to have pumped him full of confidence and actually put him way up there in the title fight for this year, up there with Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Um, and we're going into a track that he has had a lot of success in. Um, he's got one win there, but he's also appeared on the podium quite a number of times as well. He's probably... Uh, when it comes down to it, one of the most successful drivers around Baku, actually, um, which when you look at podium finishes and, and where he's come, uh, it's a race that delivers a lot of unexpected results. Um, so I think he's going to be going into this weekend feeling feeling pretty good about his his chances um, and I guess has put to bed a few of the, the maybe the rumours and rumblings that Red Bull weren't going to let him win. Um whether or not I'm ready to put that to bed yet, we'll have to see how Baku plays out because I think Red Bull are really going to want to use the momentum that they've got so far to make sure that Ferrari can't come anywhere close to them. Uh, Charles is obviously still leading the championship as we go into Baku, but um, Red Bull do feel like they've got the momentum and they've got 
two race winning drivers this year. It's 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 funny because Christian Horner, uh, you know, rewarded Perez with a new contract, but even before that, uh, well, they agreed, I think, before that Monaco win last weekend, Jess. But it, when you look at the title race now, like you mentioned in Charles Leclerc at the top of it at the minute, but you can't rule out Verstappen. It's hard to rule out Perez, and even Carlos Sainz is there. Like, is this? I'm touching wood as I say this because more in hope than anything else. But are we looking at a three or four horse race in the Formula One uh, drivers' championship? It would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, it would definitely be good going into the last stage of the season with uh, a bit more of a kind of 2012-esque uh, situation where anyone could win it. Um, whether or not we're going to get there, I'm not sure. There, there's a lot at stake. And when there's a lot at stake, the teams tend to kind of double down on their prize horse, really. So whether or not we get we are allowed to get into much of the season where we'll see it get closer i'm not i'm not too sure but based on kind of knowing the two teams red bull is max verstappen's team and i think ferrari carlos Sainz has had a kind of rocky start he had a good finish obviously in monaco uh, with his p2 finish which is great but he's still yet to produce race winning results so we'll have to see it's early it's still early doors right i don't want to kind of put any doom and gloom or negativity on the season too early but you know we're starting to get into that period where Summer break's not too far away. You know, we've had Ferrari have had positions where they've they've made mistakes and they've thrown away a lot of points. So they're going to want to double down on how do we win this championship. Um, and and so we might see more of that whole like team orders situation playing out. Um, and I do think that if you're looking at the two teams, Charles Leclerc is Ferrari's boy and Max Verstappen is definitely Red Bulls. Like when you look at when you look at race strategy, Jess, that, that that is something that that kind of comes to the fore because a lot of people, you know, who maybe are are a bit part Formula One fans will look at look at a team like Red Bull and say, oh, this is great for Red Bull. They've got they've got two drivers competing in Verstappen and Perez, but that brings with it complications as well in terms of race strategy. You know, if you've you've, you've two drivers very close in in one and two towards the end of a race and. The driver in second looks to be gaining on, 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 the, on the leader. There are decisions to be made there from a race strategy perspective. I don't know, what, what did you make of the, the comments from, from Max's father, Jos Verstappen, um, in the wake of, of Max's third place finish in Monaco? I mean, clearly, pointedly uh, criticising and critiquing the, the, the Red Bull team strategy. Obviously, he's going to be out there and bat for his son. But uh, quite extraordinary for, for Jos to be uh, critiquing his son's, uh, his son's team and the, and the strategy like that. Are we surprised? I don't know. I mean, it's it's <laughs> kind not. of it's. I I don't. I didn't. I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was surprised that maybe they made it so public, um, and how eloquently he wrote the the complaint to Red Bull. I mean, not that's not to take anything from Yossi. He's a very intelligent man, obviously, but it was it was it was odd um, in terms of like you say, you, you kind of inter. We don't have any time for internal squabblings. Like this season is as hot as last season. And we can't, teams can't afford any internal squabblings. Um, but we know how pushy the Verstappens are. There's a reason why Max Verstappen has been number one driver there and has had the struggles of who their teammate is. It's very, very much politically, it's very skewed towards the Verstappens. So maybe that's just a reminder, you know, a little warning shot from, from Jos there to say, look, this is all well and good, but you're backing my boy. And that's that. I think that's kind of where that was coming from. Um, whether or not Red Bull will take that to heart, um, we'll have to we'll have to see. I mean, you, you hope that there's not going to be any major political moves. I've got, there's, you know, 
it's a strategy game, right? Formula One, you need to put your pawns where you're going to bring home the highest level result you can. And, and actually having a really good number two is so important for these teams. It can be the difference between winning or losing both championships. So they're going to want a strong driver in Sergio Perez to support Max Verstappen if that's their, their kind of positioning. Um, so it is important to keep Sergio motivated because if he becomes demotivated this early in the season, um, then you, you're going to start suffering because one versus two when it comes to kind of charging out at the front can can mean a much trickier race, even if you have the fastest car, the fastest package for that circuit. Not having backup, not having a wingman. I've just gone to see the new Top Gun film, so I've probably got that in my head. But not having a wingman <laughs> is 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 makes you vulnerable. So you need to have that balance. It is a team sport, um, even if you know the individuals are the ones that tend to shine. Uh, give us a quick review of the movie. There, any good? Loved it. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was proper throwback nostalgia stuff. But um, I was, I was, I came out with a big smile on my face. So I would definitely encourage people to go see it. The um, the tiger parenting of the the Verstappen's is uh, just a little interesting um, tangent. If we could get into it for a second here, sure. Uh, he's still very young; like he's still only twenty four. So there's there's two decades or like fifteen more years of him being at the top of Formula One if he wants it, right? Like that was obviously always the plan when they decided that they were going to um, turn their son into the machine that he is. Hundred percent. I mean, I don't envy sons or daughters of Formula One drivers, um, I think that must be quite a tricky place to be. I mean, we, you've got Mick Schumacher, who has had something very similar, and, and the, the world puts a different kind of magnifying glass over you when you have a name that went before you. It's, it's kind of quite daunting. Obviously, Max is already quite successful, and he's young, and he's got plenty of seasons in front of him. So, yeah, I think it it, it was always the game plan, I think. And, and Max had such a a roller coaster career in terms of his trajectory has been in- incredible. It's been exponential. He jumped from Formula Three to Formula One, which is just still unheard of. Um, to make a, that jump from such a junior series into Formula One, and there was a lot of criticism about that at the time. You know, is he ready? Clearly, he was, um, uh, and he's got the results. But yeah, I don't. I don't think maybe I would be tough enough to have that kind of pressure um which is why i'm sat here talking about it rather than uh racing cars um but yeah it's, it's an interesting dynamic um because it's one that i've also compared to lewis hamilton's upbringing you know jos verstappen and anthony hamilton probably couldn't have two more different um paternal styles um anthony is very uh, encouraging and um more kind of tactile in his approach he's very support like you, know, you get that kind of emotional feeling and you see that in Lewis's style and his approach. He can be quite an emotional feeling driver, whereas Max is cold and calculated, um, as is Jos. So you get those kinds of mirroring. You can see that that impact on their driving style, which is I'm sure there should be studies on it in terms of like how that, you know, what is the better um, kind of route? I mean, you've got the uh, you know, Richard Williams and the, and the Williams sisters is kind of a very similar kind of, um, kind of maybe a, a, a something to follow there as well, but yeah, it can't be it can't be easy being Max Verstappen, but he's had a lot of success based on it. Uh, was his dad any good as a driver? Because he, he didn't have a lot of success, but that doesn't necessarily mean he might just not have been in good cars. Was he considered? I, I don't remember him being kind of talked about as somebody who was being done out of a, a good car, but maybe he was a brilliant driver, just never got the opportunities. 
he definitely had his moments. Um, it was a, obviously a completely different era of racing when uh, when Jos was was racing. Um, but yeah, I think again, like so much of being a Formula One driver and your successes is is so much of it is talent, yes, but so much of it is luck in terms of what team you end up racing for, how competitive they end up being, and also who else are you driving against. Because it's the same thing that was talked about with Valtteri Bottas being Lewis Hamilton's teammate kind of makes you pale into insignificance in comparison to the stellar driver and record holder that Lewis Hamilton is. So, you know, had Lewis Hamilton never come in, would we be talking about Valtteri Bottas as an amazing driver? Um, it's, it's, it's so much of it is to do with, with, with luck and who you end up getting pipped against. Um, and, you know, Yoss's era was also a very competitive era. So... Yeah, I think you to be a Formula One driver full stop, you have to be an incredible driver. So um, I think that's, you know, as much as we look at drivers' performances and, you know, it's our jobs to critique or to make comment on them, Twenty, the 20 drivers that we've got on the grid, they still have to have their, their absolute skill for, for driving an F1 car in the first place. So, yeah, I think people would never say that he was an unsuccessful driver, but um, compared to Max's championship winning season and his his absolute ream of podium finishes race wins he's actually now um thanks to monaco he's now equal on red bull's most successful driver and when you think that sebastian vettel was a four-time champion with red bull and max has already equaled him on um success and he's still got so much to go that kind of shows you about where max is really uh, Jess, if, if we uh, touch focus or move focus over to, to Mercedes uh, just for the moment, um, and, and I'm looking ahead to Baku and, and this, this re- street circuit at the weekend, and, and Mercedes traditionally, I, I guess, in, in, in this, this year have maybe struggled around the, the slow corners, and, and it's, it's a track that they might potentially struggle at. But start of the year, when George Russell came on board with Mercedes, you're thinking, right, this is, this is a proper rival for Lewis Hamilton. This is someone who's going to push him on to more world titles. And really, it hasn't quite yet materialised in that fashion. Like, Russell, I think, is the only driver on the grid to have achieved points in every race. He's probably the most consistent. You know, he's been third, fourth, fifth, there, thereabouts in every race. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is, is Russell's consistency highlighting a, a per Lewis Hamilton this season, or, or how do you see it? <laughs> how funny, you know, a year ago, Lewis and Max were fighting for the championship and, and this year we're already kind of writing off Lewis Hamilton. I, I, I don't buy it for one second. Um, I don't think it changes that much. We we can't discount Lewis Hamilton um, from anything, I don't think. Um, I think what we're seeing, and this, this still needs to be confirmed by Mercedes, but from, from what we've heard and what I think um and this could be completely wrong so don't hold me to it this is not uh verified but i would not be surprised if mercedes was using lewis hamilton's experience and skill to run a more experimental setup we've seen already in races they have been running different setups on those two cars and i think what 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 mercedes is probably doing is using lewis hamilton to um get to the bottom of their issues because they have big issues uh, and and letting George find his confidence and just focus on racing. So, it, it, you know, when we're looking at points, yes, there's a massive discrepancy now between um, George and, and Lewis. But I think that that is a tactical approach from Mercedes to in order to get to the bottom of their 
issues with their with their current setup it's it's a very um experimental um philosophy that they've gone with the cars today i mean obviously when we saw that they had no side pods everyone was like what the hell is going on like why how, how have you brought a f1 car with no side pods um and obviously they've been suffering the most probably with the porpoising effect of the bouncing um and that has obviously um led to them not really having clean weekends and, and and kind of not competing at the front like we're used to seeing them um but i don't think i think george is a phenomenal racer i think he's shown that and so it's not to discount his his consistency as you say top five finishes in every race only driver to do that it's 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 very impressive um but i don't think we can all of a sudden say lewis has lost it I, that's just that's just unfair um and just it doesn't happen like that like you don't all of a sudden overnight lose your ability or lose your um kind of you know seven time world champion that doesn't just disappear overnight but a lot of it is down to the machinery in formula one we know that um so yeah i don't think i think it's the scoreboard isn't reflecting what is going on in terms of the skills of those drivers i think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes and the other teams have already said that they're quite worried about mercedes making a comeback they are Mercedes. Um, they they know what they're doing. So I think as soon as they tie it all together, we'll see both drivers um, racing for for podium finishes, if not wins. Can I just pick up on something you said there, Jess, and attach it to to another driver? Like you don't lose your your talent overnight. Um, like if we just touch on Daniel Ricciardo as someone who with McLaren hasn't quite reached the heights expected of him. Um, I know he's been kind of under the shadow in in, in some regards to of uh, Lando Norris. But I almost think of, of of writer's block as you know you know Ricardo is a driver we know that has the talent he's just at the minute struggling to get it out there on the page like is he someone who if if he doesn't buck up quick I know it's it, is it four races now in a row without points for him we know he's a marketable driver we've all seen you know the uh, the interviews with him and the character that he brings to the sport um, but if he doesn't buck up with McLaren this season, can you see him moving to someone else next season? I look, I look at a team like maybe, you know, if, say for example, Sebastian Vettel was to hypothetically leave Aston Martin, that might be a nice fit for for Daniel Ricciardo. Do you see Ricciardo as someone whose whose time at at McLaren is running out? And if so, where could you see him heading next season, hypothetically speaking? That's a that's a million dollar question, really, <laughs> um, or multi million dollar question, depending on what kind of a deal he can get. But. Uh, he's running out of options massively. Um, and the biggest thing for for Daniel that he's always said is that as much as there's criticism being thrown at him and his ability, his criticism is also with, well, come on, guys. Um, you know I'm a good driver. He's a race winner. He was extremely successful with Red Bull. It was, again, that whole um, dichotomy of, of, of Red Bull becoming Max Verstappen's team that made him want to leave. Um, and so then he had to find other other teams to join and he had to kind of put his money on a midfield team that was going to improve and if you were going to do that then you obviously went to Renault now Alpine um uh, in his first switch which was a massive shock to everybody um I remember I still remember the announcement coming out and being like what on earth is going on here but it's because he was he was hoping that Renault being a manufacturer would invest enough to bring a competitive car and that kind of never really materialized so then he took his chances and moved to McLaren another again I would say that was a smart move but as we kind of touched on with 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 Lewis in Formula One it's you have to have that perfect balance of car and driver in order to get the results that you need and 
as we've seen, when you when you are comparing teammates, some drivers take to their cars a lot easier than others. Um, and if you are the lead driver, the team tends to build the car around that driver or will will push for setups and um, uh, uh, that will suit that driving style. And so if you don't have that driving style and you haven't got the ability to adapt your driving style to the car, your results are going to suffer. But it's, it's, it's a balance, right? It is a team sport. It's not star drivers just going out there and showing off. There's so many people behind the scenes that make have to make Formula One work. And I think to your question, where is he going to go? There aren't really many more places he can. Um, and, and I think he will definitely not want to be at a team that is, you know, chasing a singular point. That's that's not what he wants. And that's not where he sees himself. But there are only 20 seats on the grid. And as you say, like when, when you're not pulling in the performances, when you're not showing, you know, you lick the stamp and send it movements that we know Ricardo for, your your value, your market value dips. So, you know, will the team want Ricardo, it's 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 actually quite a scary thing to think that he could have, he might come to the end of his tenure. I'm sure, I really hope that that's not the case. I hope that either McLaren give him a little more time. He's meant to have a contract for next year with McLaren. Um, but the, for the first time, just before Monaco, we had Zach Brown coming out and saying, you know, there are clauses to his contract that work for him and some that don't in terms of there needs to be performance clauses that mean if you don't bring the results then we can terminate this contract early i don't see mclaren doing that um they don't really have anybody waiting in the wings to bring in the one pawn i'm really interested to know where they're going to go next year um is pierre gasly because with sergio perez signing his contract and him being a red bull driver he's kind of stuck at alpha towery so I don't know how many more seasons he's going to want to do that. He's mm. going to be sniffing around and wanting other places. Maybe McLaren would be somewhere that he would look to. Um, we're just going to have to see. But yeah, Ricardo is a massive question mark this year. All right, Jess, we'll leave it there and we'll um, come back to those question marks at some point in the near future. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. That was brilliant. Thanks. That's uh, Jess McFadden there giving us her thoughts on Baku this week and obviously the uh, Game of Thrones, the constant uh, chess moves that are going on in the background of Formula One. Colin Mulaney is with us, Colin. Good morning to you. Hey lads, how's it going? Very well. Not really. <laughs> Bit of a black pall over the show this morning, as you might guess. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, I dis- detect a different kind of reaction to last night's match, um, just in terms of the stuff towards Stephen Kenny and some of his post-match stuff as well, that just, I'm not sure. I think we need a result over the next two games, I think. Uh, I would... I. Shudder to think what's going to happen if uh, if we lose the next two matches in pretty bad fashion. I think we could be in a, a difficult spot next week. Yeah, uh, a different range of uh, many different outcomes are possible over the next while if things, if things go completely pear shaped. Yeah, um, you just wonder would they consider a change if obviously with the qualification campaign coming up and four games in this window if the manner of the losses continue in a similar manner to the first two matches in terms of performance and the inability to really dominate in the way that uh, Stephen Kenny wants to dominate the matches and in terms of chances created uh, I just wonder will the decision makers look at that and think is there a better way here more pragmatic way of playing that we could get some results in the European qualifying campaign more pragmatic kind of way that's really going to sell the tickets isn't it it's going to make you (laughs) get up off your seat and go and 
like I, I don't really want to watch the Republic of Ireland play the way we did under Mick McCarthy or the end of the O'Neill era again. Like, what you mm. know? What who who's gonna who's gonna bring something there? Are we got, yeah, same big Mick again. Is it? What's the well, what's the alternative? Think, well, is the staying power there to persist with this method? I think you've no choice to, at this stage. Like it, they've committed to him. They've given him a. a, a contract through to the end of the qualifying campaign we should give him the opportunity in a qualifying campaign where it's legitimately a competitive international like um, you know by saying that he wanted to win this he definitely invested a lot more yeah. uh, in the outcome of these than w- was necessary we've already had this conversation but not to, to retread that but um, so they, they were competitive and that is, that is his best team and that's the team that he wants to to represent us and the performances have been really abject back-to-back abject performances so all of a sudden that Scotland game becomes important doesn't it? Oh it's massive like if they get hammered it's a disaster and you would have to say these last two games are actually the hardest two games of this sequence you thought that maybe Armenia away and perhaps a Ukraine side who've just crashed out of the World Cup at home Mm. that was going to represent our best opportunity here Mm. Um, I was I was reading there. I was hoping Cahill you'd come in and, and be our beacon of positivity because I'm just reading through the the YouTube comments here and like it's and I, look I know Jerry you mentioned like a lot of the people who are going to be commenting online anyway are going to be those people calling for for Kenny's head but it's such it's such an area of negativity online in terms of Stephen Kenny in terms of this Irish team but we need we need little moments of positivity like you look at the other 21 performances. Mm. Of late, you look at Will Smallbone and players like like that that like that who are undoubtedly going to be in the senior panel coming through. It's not all terrible. It's it's as long as we're not losing games. As Cal, you mentioned, if we lose in a in a particular fashion to Scotland or North Macedonia, if we lose three or four nil, then questions undoubtedly are coming over over Stephen Kenny's tenure. But I think I think we need to. We need to have some level of positivity with this, with this Irish team because it's not all terrible. There's good players coming through. The only thing I'd say about that, right, is that the next generation are always going to be the generation that saves us because <laughs> it was going to be it was going to be Troy Parrott who saved us, and we we all got carried away in the hype. And Aaron like, Connolly as well, of course, and yeah. and Aaron Connolly, and like you know the the problem is these players are not performing at the right level at club level to have an impact at international level like Troy Parrott hasn't made it in the Premier League he didn't make it in the Championship he went down another division and started to show signs there and he's still very young so I'm not in any way writing him off but Connolly for example didn't make it in the Premier League and has struggled in the Championship and probably you know who knows what next season will hold maybe there's a, a bit of maturity coming to him and he, he maybe he's found the, the right club situation for him and, and the level of improvement that we saw towards the end of the season will be sustained over a period of time and then he comes back into the team and all of a sudden he's good and Adam Ida is, is fit again and away we go. But like, you know, the notion that Will Smallbone is now the new Wes Hulan is going to save us, like maybe it's true, but like can't get in the can't get in the Southampton team. Rooted to the bench there, you know? Like, is that, is that like, so we're but hanging our hat on. There. He's young. Exactly. And so therefore has he has to let us down. But we've been there before with the under 21s in that when Stephen Kenny was under the over the under 21s and they had a promising campaign and I think he thought as well maybe that they would come through a little bit quicker than they have done and the transition to senior football might be a little bit uh, smoother than it has been. So it's dangerous to hang your hat on the under 21s uh, progress but they have done brilliantly and there is a lot of bright uh, sparks there but they need to have something to aspire to too at senior level and I think with the squad that's there and the template that Stephen Kenny has there's undoubted potential 
but we need to start getting results pretty quickly. I mean, you need to find a way to beat the, the likes of Armenia while developing this style of play. Um, I don't think it's acceptable to be losing to teams like that and, and, and write it off against we're trying to develop a new style of play and a new system of playing. We do also need to recognise the fact that our, our pretense at being a team who automatically qualifies for tournaments, even the bloated Euros, is nonsensical at this stage. Like we are, we are not a first world footballing country. The chronic decades of underinvestment are coming home to roost. Like we've been talking about this on this show for twenty years, literally that the the game has not been run properly. It's not being run properly. We're starting to see some signs of the impact of um, good youth teams and proper coaching. And like I actually think that the League of Ireland is making significant strides, but it needs a massive injection of cash and it needs a massive injection of coaching and resources and facilities and that's not coming like we you know it's not coming so um i don't know it's a that's, it's a yeah. moment of crisis that we uh, either need either need to hold firm in or blow everything up and and hope that somehow miraculously a messiah rides to our rescue which you know only really happens in the movies well that's the thing it, 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 i'm not the messiah it, like when you see names mentioned, uh, like I'm seeing names mentioned here in the in the comments, people like Steve Bruce, people like Roy Hodgson, like that that is depressing. Um, like seeing things like that mentioned, you don't want to, as you said, that's called trolling, Shane. Well, I know they're trolling, but like you mentioned, the decades of underinvestment. If we're to go back to something like that, like one one person says, I will not renew my season ticket if the likes of Lennon, Hutton, or similar comes in. I'm not going back to watching caveman football similar to what we've seen under Martin, Trapper, Mick. Look at their qualifying results. I think a lot of season ticket holders do understand that, that this is a process, but processes also reach their end. And, and, and really, you, you, you have to, while, while giving Stephen Kenny time, you also have to realise, as I have said a million times in the show this morning, Wait, it is We're, we're going to dial you back up there, Shane. There's just a little bit of a problem with your line. It's 8.48. Is there anything else going on? Uh, Aside from uh, the Republic of Ireland, well, the under-21s, speaking of the under-21s, they could be assured of a European Championship playoff place by tonight. Italy take on Sweden in their qualifying group this evening and if the Swedes fail to win, Ireland will be guaranteed second place at their final group game next week against the Italians. There's some positivity there uh, from a Republic of Ireland point of view. Uh, Here at home this evening in the Women's National League, one game at Dublin, Derby, deal or waves can move level on points with fourth place P-Mount. That's if they win at home to Bohemians. Kick off for that game is at uh, 7.45. A big day ahead in the world of golf. The controversial Saudi-backed LIV Golf Series gets underway in the UK later. Phil Mickelson among the names in action at the Centurion Club near London where there's a prize pot of £16 million in the individual competition. Graham McDowell also teeing it up. Dustin Johnson as well among the 48 players in the field. And Bryson's obviously signing up. Yeah, and Patrick Reed as well. And uh, Ricky Fowler uh, supposed to be on the way. So... Um, I think it has been... With the exception uh, of Ricky Fowler, I would have said, good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think to be fair, if you stand back and look at it, LIV Golf have done brilliantly uh, with the players that they've got on board. Consider Rory McIlroy said it was dead in the water at one stage a couple of months ago. Um, from that point to here now, it's kind of remarkable how they've got it together. And uh, the press conferences yesterday, I mean, they're worth watching back in full if you can. Uh, on YouTube, I mean, it's just the most bizarre stuff. And if anybody didn't see it, there was um, a, a brilliant line of questioning about, particularly to Westwood and Poulter. You know, uh, if Vladimir Putin held a golf tournament, would yeah. you play there? And they're like, "Oh, my media training didn't tell me how to answer this question." Yeah, yeah. what am I going? And the brain is slowly worrying. The hamster is like panting and panting as the wheel turns and turns, and they're like, 
that's a hypothetical. Yeah, I I can't answer that. Would you play in, in apartheid South Africa? Um, it's like just the answer is just no, 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 no. That that's different, you know. Yeah, like those they're, they're different scenarios. I wouldn't have absolutely. I, I'm appalled that you would suggest that I would have played in apartheid South Africa, even though loads of the golfers did. Loads of Irish rugby players went over and played. Loads of Irish musicians went over and played. You can Google that list of uh, of people. So, anyway. Yeah, I thought Phil Mickelson's press conference, he looked terribly uncomfortable. Terribly yeah. uncomfortable. And he sleeps on his bed of money. His 200 million. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of the fan response to this tournament this week, the online coverage of it and the viewership of it. It's going to be very interesting to see what the initial response is, and I suppose the quality of the the golf that's played as well is going to be interesting to see. Um, I don't. I think this is all going to be very interesting. Like, what if what if nobody cares? What if nobody wants exactly. to watch a bunch of rich people getting rich playing fifty four holes for meaningless stuff? Like, golf has tried to do a lot of things in the past that everybody's like, no, I'm not really into that. I'm into the stuff that's always been there that has a little bit of tradition. That exactly. Like, I, you know. But it's totally mean, like meaningless is exactly the word, and you mentioned it there. It means absolutely nothing to the winner this week if they win, but they do get a check for four million. But like, what weight does that title carry? Very, very little. Whereas if McElroy was to defend the Canadian Open successfully, I would wager that that definitely means a lot more to him. Well, he'll have world ranking points. There, there are still some ways that they can screw this up. There's, there's also ways that this can ruin golf. Like the whole thing just collapses and everybody goes. It's such uh, a precarious position. That was all a bit of a pyramid scheme, golf, wasn't it? Wasn't it's, all a bit of a yeah? Wasn't it all just a little bit of a pyramid scheme? Yeah, it's a really precarious position, and it's going to be very interesting. There was talk that the uh, the tourists wouldn't come out with their various punishments until the guys tee off in London today. So two o'clock start. There's a shotgun start uh, for that tournament. So. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled at 2pm to see what happens. All right. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, the Canadian Open is on as well. Rory McIlroy and uh, Shane Larry in the field for that uh, across the water. And Ulster Joe, Jonathan Caldwell and Olivia Mahaffey are both involved in the Scandinavian, Scandinavian mixed event that's in Halmstead today and racing today at Leopardstown. The first goes to post there at a quarter past five this evening. Good stuff. Thanks a million for that. It is 8.52. Uh, if you want to get involved this morning, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number and OTBAM is live each morning. Brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We could have done with some effortless finishing from the Republic of Ireland last night. Unfortunately, it was not to be. Jonathan Wilson, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, Eamon Dunphy is writing in the uh, Star today that he was basically crying watching England and the impact that uh, Rice and Grealish had and what what might have been for the Republic of Ireland. So we're, we're kind of doing a bit of um, living vicariously through the English football team <laughs> at the moment in this piece. Uh, it turns out Jack Grealish is good at, good at, he's good at international football anyway. He's good at coming off a bench in certain games in international football. I think I think that's probably a, a fair way of putting it. Um, I, I, I still think, and it's a, it's, it's sort of a, a sort of diluted version of the issues he's had at City. That Southgate demands those those wide forwards uh, fulfil their defensive responsibilities. There's quite clear roles for them in blocking the opposition fullbacks, and I think still a doubt remains for him uh, on on how good Grealish is at doing that. And I, I think. That interview Grealish gave on the pitch after the final day of the season at, when, when City had won the title, which is one of the more extraordinary interviews I've seen, where he, he basically admitted that and said, you know, he's really trying, but he finds it difficult. And now he's finding he's, 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 he's second guessing himself. And so the thing that made him great at, at Villa and that made him so effective against Germany on um, Tuesday night was that he, he's worried about taking a player on because he's worried about losing the ball and he knows 
that will annoy Guardiola and to a lesser extent Southgate. So I, I think given the given the depth of talent England have in those positions, and that probably, to be honest, doesn't include Jared Bowen, who also made an impact off the bench on Tuesday, uh, I would su- suggest his, his role for England is... Uh, it is probably as an impact sub when England need to, to to break the pattern of the game, and his dribbling ability clearly is a great asset in doing that. So he's he's a plan B uh, in case of emergency break glass. Well, I, I, no, I, I think it's because that suggests you you'd only you you know a plan B suggests he's not part of well by definition he's not part of plan A. I think he's a subsidiary part of plan A. Okay, he's the part of plan A you come to after sort of sixty sixty five minutes when opposing defences. Uh, are tired when the shape of the game is formed. And if you want to break that shape, if it's useful to you to break that shape, he, he's a great asset to have. And I don't think that is... I think, I think we have a have a sort of hangover from, from the days even before substitutes or before two substitutes when a specialised substitute role was seen as, as sort of almost demeaning to a player. But actually... I, I think I think now we we need to be a bit smarter than that. We need to say a game is ninety minutes or perhaps one hundred and twenty minutes long, and you're allowed five substitutes, and that means you've got sixteen players you can deploy at various times. And it may be that the best value of this particular player is not to start the game, but is after an hour or you know in a certain circumstance. And and that specialised role, I don't think there should be any any shame in that. I mean, you know, a, a sort of slightly more uh, sort of pedestrian example of that was when West Brom had Shane Long and, and Lukaku and often Long would start with running legs off a defence Lukaku would come on and Lukaku would score because the defence was knackered or, or the other way around um, and I, I don't I don't I get that players still want to start games want to play as many minutes as possible but I think when you when you have a squad with the depth of an England squad or a modern elite squad um I don't think there, there, there should be any shame in those specialised roles. The five substitutes is really the game changer in that aspect, though, because there's been instances before where a player like Grealish is on the bench, somebody gets sent off or injured early, and suddenly one of the subs options is gone, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and then he doesn't get off the bench. You're like, hang on a second, that could have changed the game for you. But now with five subs, you're always going to have room to make that substitute, and you can promise somebody in advance, look you're going to have 35 minutes here. Make sure you're paying attention to what's going on. Keep an eye out for anything and you'll be ready to go after the hour. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, there's the flip side of that, which is the impact on the player who starts. Uh, because, and particularly those, those wide areas where you have to track the, the opposing fullbacks. And you can, you can say to those wide players, just, just chase them, just run. If you're knackered after 55 minutes, that doesn't matter because we've got Jack Reedus can come on or Bakaya Saka can come on or, or whoever. Look at the bench. We've got lots of players to play in your position. So run yourself out. You know, destroy that fullback as much as you can in the first hour. And when you're knackered, you can come off. And they're unlikely to want to use one of those substitutes to replace a fullback. And therefore, we've got a tired fullback against one of our, our lads who's, who's fresh. And, and I think given England have that, you know, we, we, we've sort of almost become, the, the way the narrative's gone in, in, in England recently has been, it's always, ah, oh, it's, it's such a shame we've got this depth in wide areas that, you know, why couldn't we have another centre-back or why couldn't we have a slightly more reliable keeper or why couldn't we have a backup to Harry Kane? And, and, and all of that is true, but it is a strength. So I, I think using it and saying, right, one of these players is going to play for an hour and he's going to run himself silly and he's going to destroy the fullback by doing that. And then we bring on somebody else. That is a strength, and you know, we should embrace that and use the the, the, the strength we have. Uh, Jonathan, we know the attack, we know the attacking talent that you've mentioned that that this England team and Gareth Southgate are, are blessed with. But 
um, like th- that that formation that we saw working to such great effect in, in the Euros, that three five two that that led them all the way to, all the way to the final, seems to now be from watching them the other night be in favour of this more attacking four two three one. Obviously, Southgate has the the problem of trying to cram in as many of these attacking players as he possibly can. But do you think that could be to the detriment of the team ultimately that they're almost leaving behind the the system that led them to to such great success in the Euros? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think. The formation in Germany was was pretty experimental, and I, I'd be surprised if he maybe he tries against Italy. But I, I, I I'd be surprised if that's a long term plan. I think what we've seen over the past sort of year, eighteen months, and certainly at the Euros, is if Southgate thinks England will dominate possession, he'll play a four three three, and that allows him to get in one one more attacking player. If he thinks there's going to be a contest for possession or that England aren't going to be able to dominate it, he plays the the back three, whether that's a three five two or a three three four three. Uh, you know, he seems to like, even when it's a 3-4-3, it tends to be Sterling playing almost off Kane. Sterling hasn't played the last two games. So the, the Hungary game and the Germany game have been slightly different anyway. Uh, so I was I was simultaneously surprised that he played with the back three against Hungary because that's a game where I think you would expect to dominate possession. And I think that was possibly conditioned by the, how poor the performance was against Hungary at Wembley in the Nations League uh, last year. Um was it the Nations League? Was that a qualifier? No, it was a qualifier. Sorry, in, in, in the in the qualifier last year, uh, and then I was surprised he went with the back four against Germany. I, I, I thought he would, it would always be a back three against a team of Germany's quality, and I think one of the reasons England got passed around as much as they were in in that first sort of hour or so was that they didn't have the the extra man at the back, and I, I think to an extent that was Southgate proving to himself and, and maybe some of his critics that we're not good enough to play a back four against a team of Germany's quality. And the fact that he was then able to, to change the game and, and in a positive way so that England could have nicked it at the end. I mean, it would have been a smash and grab, but they could have nicked it at the end. You, I think the, 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 the biggest criticism you could have of Southgate uh, has been his in-game management. The, the, the Croatia semi-final, when, when the Croatian wing-backs pushed forward and England started to be overmanned in the field, and Jordan Henderson was sort of running shuttles across the pitch, chasing the ball hopelessly. And then the, the the final of the Euros against Italy, when beginning that second half, you could feel momentum shift and Southgate didn't really react to that until the crucial goal had been conceded. Well, here was an instance of him in a game changing things and it working and England getting back into it. Most countries kind of look on fairly jealously, uh, Jonathan, particularly at the English, um, how stacked it is at right back. And and you see the other night, I mean, you think of the likes of, of Rhys James and Trent Alexander-Arnold who you'd expect would get into most international teams uh, across the world. And then you see another right-back in Kieran Trippier being adopted at left-back. Like, are you surprised to see someone like Kyle Walker still operating at, at right-back? He's probably more used to being that right-sided centre-half himself of late. But with all the, the depth of talent they have in that position, uh, is there any surprise among English fans, media, that, that Kyle Walker is still the man being preferred there? I don't think so. I mean, the, the great thing that Walker gives you um, you know, all four are excellent right backs. So, in a sense, it doesn't really matter which of the four it is. Trippier is used on the left because, with with Chilwell being injured or just coming back from injury, the, the, there isn't an equivalent figure on the left. So, he, you know, in, in that sense, Trippier takes care of himself. Walker's pace is such an asset. And, and you, I mean, if you think back to the Germany game at the Euros, there's a couple of occasions when Walker's pace got England out of jail. Uh, and that allows them to be slightly more aggressive. I mean, they're still not that aggressive, but slightly more aggressive in the press. And, and playing a slightly higher line because Walker's pace and Pickford's aptitude in leaving his line uh, mean that they, they can afford to leave a little bit more space there. 
So, yeah, he's playing for Manchester City. He's playing for the, the league champions. He's a very, very good right back. But it's his pace that maybe just sets him above the others uh, in Southgate's mind. I think there's a. I think if there's clearly a the fourth choice now is Alexander Arnold, and you know, performance against Hungary was was pretty poor. I, and, and I think that's that's not really an issue with him so much as that the way he plays for Liverpool, you need a very high press because he will leave space behind him. And that's not a criticism. You know, he should leave space behind because he's so good going forward. He's so good at linking with with Mohamed Salah. You know, it was a 12 assists in the Premier League last season. You know, his crossing is exceptional. So you want him to be using those parts of his game. But for him to do that, there will be space behind him. Now, you, you'd think in a, in a wing-back system that should work because he may have a right-side centre-back, possibly Carl Walker, covering behind him. And that's something I'd, I'd quite like to see England try, although not a huge amount of time now before the World Cup to try that. But if it's a, if it's a back four, uh, England just don't press as hard. They don't press as high. And what that means is that opposing midfielders have time to measure a pass into that space. So the great example of this is when Liverpool lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League last season. Um, when, you know, when they lost 3-1 in Madrid and the first two goals both came from Tony Cross not being pressed because Liverpool's press last season was, was all over the place at that stage not being pressed being able to measure those passes in behind Alexander-Arnold and, and, and he, he then couldn't get back uh, and, and, and so Alexander-Arnold his way of playing at Liverpool works because of the rest of the Liverpool system the way England play is very different to that and in international football you don't have the time to generate that that sophistication of, of press that you have at Liverpool. So England can't really play like that. So England, you know, almost by definition, as an international team, they can't get the best out of Alexander-Arnold. Although, as I say, possibly there would be an opportunity at right wing-back, but that's not the system he's used to playing and that, that would take adaptation, that would take time. They've really got to try that though, right? Because he's so spectacularly good. It, I mean, there's a world in which he might not even make the squad, is there, for the World Cup? I think there's definitely a world which doesn't make the squad. Um, I mean, do they have to try it? Um, see, I think Reese James defensively is better. And that's not to do with positioning. That's to do with just in one-on-one duels. I think Reese James is a, is a better player. Um, he's, not, he's not quite as good on the ball, but he's, not, you know, he's a good crosser. I think you saw with Chelsea last season when, when he was injured, a, a lot of that supply down the right disappeared. So... Um, I mean, you can argue which is the better better all-round player, Alexander-Arnold or Reese james But I think you can certainly make the case that Reese james is, is the better all-round defensive player who, who can also get forward. So, uh, I mean, you could you can play Reese james on the right side of three centre-backs as well. There's that option, which again speaks of England's strength. But I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see it tried, I guess, is, is, is what I'm saying. But... I, I don't. I'm also uneasy about this idea that just because a player plays really well at club level, that means he has to be in the national squad. Now, for a long time for England, that was the case because England just didn't have enough players. But England are in this very, very happy position at the minute where they probably have 40 or 50 players who would be totally reasonable members of a, of a World Cup squad. And when that's the case, I, I think we've got to get beyond this idea of handing out international caps, like there were sort of blue Peter badges or something, a reward for playing well. It's not. It's so you've got the team, you've got the squad, and then you've got to think of it like a club manager. If I go out and bring in this player who I don't have to pay any money for, which is obviously the difference, but is he going to make the squad better? Is it, what, what is he going to do in that squad that's going to improve the overall performance of the, of the team and, and the overall balance of the squad? And 
if a player's not going to do that, if he's going to complicate things tactically, if he's going to mean you have to deviate from the, from the way you've been playing, and a way of been playing that has taken England to two semi-finals back-to-back, having been in two in the previous 50 years. So, you know, you can't say it's not working. The, the, then, you know, I, I think maybe you do leave out some, some exceptional players who are playing well in the Premier League, and Alexander-Arnold may be one of them. There's also the argument he could possibly play in midfield in extremis. So he's worth having in the squad um, as, a, as a sort of utility player. And the fact that Trippi can play on either side, James Justin can play on either side, although he didn't play brilliantly against Hungary. Um, and so there are options there that you can sort of burgle two places mm. through, through one player. All right. Hey, Jonathan, just a final, just a final one for me. Uh, and this is something that, that kind of came up to my, in my head because of Harry Kane reaching this, this milestone 50th goal for England the other night. I think he's only a few off Wayne Rooney's record now. Uh, we had one of our colleagues on Off the Ball, Nathan Murphy, talk, describing uh, during the week Gareth Bale as the greatest British footballer since Bobby Charlton, which um, got a mixed reception. A lot of people agreeing, a lot of people disagreeing and giving their own picks. Throwing you under the bus here and kind of uh, uh, bringing this one to you without uh, prior warning. But um, if you had to pick a, a greatest Brit- British footballer of all time or even since Bobby Charlton, would you go along the, the Gareth Bale lines or uh, have another pick? Uh, I think Kenny Dalglish would be pretty upset by that. Um, if you want to say, is he the greatest since Dalglish? Uh, there's an argument for it. I, I mean, it's, it's an impossible question, isn't it? What, what are you judging on? If you're judging it on international performances, then, then Kane has been exceptional for England. I mean, 50 goals at a, at a far faster rate than Mooney or, or, or indeed Gary Lineker or Charlton is incredible. He's been a golden boot at the World Cup. Um, yeah, he, he's he's been brilliant for England. He's been brilliant for Spurs, but it's Spurs, yeah. He's not. He hasn't been winning Champions Leagues in the way that, that Gareth Bale has. Um, I don't know. I mean, the way Bale sort of has become a bit part player at, at Madrid does that count against him? I, I don't. Know. I mean, these questions are are very very difficult to answer because it entirely depends what your terms are. I mean, if, if I can completely deflect and say who's the greatest Argentinian player of all time, <laughs> is it the bloke who won the World Cup, but only won two league titles and isn't? Had a three league titles in his entire career, or is it the bloke who hasn't won a World Cup but has won thirteen league titles and five Champions Leagues? You know, Argentina would still say it's Maradona. So I, you know, it's it's very it entirely depends what what your parameters are. Kane's been great. Bale's been great. Kenny Dalglish, I think, would <laughs> would probably uh, like to be in that conversation as the greatest since Dalglish rather than the greatest since Charlton. You would have Kenny up there with the two lads, definitely. Yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I only saw the very end of Kenny Dalglish, like the last couple of seasons, so I, I'm kind of unfamiliar with just how great he was. I mean, yeah, uh, won, what, three European Cups with him? Uh, six league titles? Seven, six league titles, I think, as a player. Uh, maybe maybe five. Um, yeah, his his link up with Russia's, but I mean Russia's got an argument there as well. I mean Russia was was a I think we we don't realise now how good Russia was because part of the thing he did was his pressing. But in those days we didn't really talk about pressing. Uh, you know, the way we consumed football in, in the early eighties was was by highlights, and highlights obviously don't show you the forwards chasing the fullback. Um, so yeah, that, that that front pairing I think is is. Is arguably the, the the greatest front pairing in 
in English league history. So, right. So, yeah, that's, I mean, a, that's an even better conversation that you started for us this morning, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I, kind no, of, yeah, I drifted off. But uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of the thing I always think about these conversations about who's who's the best, who's the greatest. It's not actually what answer you come to. It's it's what what is your method? What, what are you actually analysing there? Mm. And it's clearly not just about goals or trophies won. Or, emotion. It's all about emotion and love, well, isn't it? That's no, ultimately what did you what did you enjoy more, Maradona in. Uh, 86 or Messi's career and then for a lot of people who saw Maradona it's going to be Maradona forever because that's the thing that made them fall in love with football yeah you know, it, it is it, it's sort of that and it's also about narrative and it's about sort of which one most conform yeah I think one of the things um, that, that almost counts against Messi is it seems so easy for him and I'm sure it's not but Maradona you could see the struggle and I think we like to think of our geniuses as being these tortured figures who, who have to sort of personally suffer for their talent whereas Messi just seems to drift along being brilliant every week I mean maybe less so at PSG but in his Barcelona days yeah he, he seems entirely unruffled yeah. which almost suggests yeah in terms of in football terms he's a greater genius because he doesn't have that, that offset but in terms of an idea of what's what makes a story what's a story you want to tell yeah, Maradona fits that far more because of the the enormous cost that, that, that his genius brought on him for sure. And and also the fact that the defenders could break his ankle at any time and did on a couple of occasions. Jonathan, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. It's uh, Jonathan Wilson giving us his thoughts there this morning. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Uh, OTB Gold at one o'clock is Barry Ryan talking about his book, The Ascent. Leaders' Questions at three o'clock with Stuart Lancaster. Our retro panel is Gambling and Addiction. At four, Michael Conlon talking about his... Uh, Olympic Games after Rio is OTB Gold at six and uh, the show's live tonight with Nathan and John Giles for Thursday Night Football. Uh, you can follow off the ball across all our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel, be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest and the best sports content and analysis. We're back after these with Dion Fanning for more reaction to Ireland's defeat against Ukraine. First, here's Stewie Byrne talking to us in the aftermath last night, lamenting the national side's current mentality. In the overall scheme of things, um, you know, realistically, and if you, if if you, if Stephen is genuinely, and I, I do believe he is, he, trying to change the culture of Irish football, trying to get us, he has to be brave, and he has to try and get it into the heads of these players that we're we're maxed out at the moment, unless we start trying to have it, unless the players start trying to change their philosophy on the game, you know. Just look at the Ukrainians. You know, they, 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 you know, they're not physically taller than us. They're not physically bigger than us. They just think differently. And they did very few things which took your breath away or were outstanding or beyond the reaches of Irish players. But in all the tiny little moments, the tiny little decisions, the little breakaways where Ukraine take the right option and Ireland take the wrong option, the misplaced passes, which became a factor for Ireland, especially in the second half. In all those tiny little moments, Ukraine are simply more efficient. They're not more outstanding. They're not more... Uh, glamorous they're just doing simpler things better do you know what it was Joe and I've seen it in the Serbians as well okay and I think I think Serbia are probably the best team we've, we've played in this ground for probably four or five years no yeah. doubt about it I remember you raving about them they have they have an inner confidence yeah they just have it in them it's just that they're born from kids and their mother and dad basically say you're you're dead you're brilliant yeah you're brilliant yeah but you are going to be the best of the and they just have this inner confidence in them and they step onto the pitch and their chest is out and they just have it in their head. No one's going to get the better of me today and I'm going to do my stuff. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to say we don't have that. Yeah. 
but they but these teams and what when I when I talk about these teams, I'm talking about the teams that are above us. They just have this inner confidence that I'd love to know what if it was in a bottle, it'd be worth yeah, a fortune. Yeah, yeah. OTB. All right, 15 minutes past nine this morning. Time to go back to the Republic of Ireland's 1-0 defeat against Ukraine last night. Dion Fanning is with us. Dion, good morning to you. Hi, Jar. How are you? What's going on? What, what is happening to us? Why, why is this happening to us? Why are we stuck in Groundhog Day? Uh, how long How long have we got? I don't know. Um, forever, it seems like. For, well, yeah, if we're stuck in Groundhog Day, I suppose we have got, got forever. Um, I think there are, you know, look... The problem with the Ireland team, or the problem with discussing the Ireland team, is you do tend to go over all the same ground. Um, and when you have a manager like Stephen Kenny, who is trying to do something different, uh, it it makes it um, uh, you know there is there is another line of uh, line of attack, if you like, in terms of like, are we doing something that we're just simply not good not good enough to do? Um, and when you have results like Saturday and when you have results like last night, um, it, it gets it gets exhausting trying to kind of make a case or to kind of believe in what Stephen Kenny's saying when he talks about we're, we're working towards a, a plan or a progressive plan or anything like that when the evidence on a, on a night like that is is it's very hard to glimpse that it's very hard to say, right. There's anything going on. There's any real sign um, against that, you know, Ireland had come into it with, with some evidence that things were actually going, um, were moving forward. And I think there is some, you know, there, there is, <laughs> there has been glimpses of what Stephen Kenny wants to do. I don't know if Stephen Kenny will be the person to actually get Ireland to to that position. But I think whoever is the manager, whether it's Stephen Kenny or somebody else, the approach in general has to be along these lines because, uh, like, I did see people saying they would rather watch Ireland under Stephen Kenny even on a night like that rather than some of, some of the previous you know, managers' performances. I'm not sure... I, I felt the same watching it watching it last night, but in general, that's something I would uh, subscribe to. But I don't think you could make much of a case last night that it was entertainment or there was something progressive uh, happening. And I think the same is true of Armenia. They're two, um, they're two very disappointing um, results in with performances that have lacked. Uh, a real purpose and a real sense that the team knew what they're doing. I think to say that Ireland started well, um, everybody starts like lots of teams start well. It's kind of, you know, it's when you, when you move beyond that initial five, 10, 15 minute spell of kind of adrenaline and energy that you actually often get to see what really a team is, what, what their, their plans are based on. And again, last night, I, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot. That's the problem, really, is that we we all were like, oh, Kenny needs time to implement something. It's a significant enough deviation from where we've been for a long time and we're going to have to judge him when he has had a run of games, everybody's available for him and it's the start of something new, there's no pressure on... And that was these games, that's this run of games where it's like, 
you know, judge me on this. I have high expectations. I, I think we can win this group was, is the message that he sent out there into the universe. And so we do have to judge him on these performances and the performances are really bad. They are. They have been really bad. Yeah. And he did. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all reasonable. I think it's um, if you go into it expecting or talking up. And I think Stephen Kenny had no option but really to talk it up because he's sort of trapped between the past and the future, if you like, because, you know, we saw how badly he reacted to kind of people bringing up uh, the previous Nations League, um, which was a legitimate uh, avenue for people to bring up. Um, but it's then you, you, you really, you can, you can stress the present. And I think there was enough in, a, in an awful lot of the games to get people excited uh, um you know, since then, but you have to kind of talk up the future, and then when the future arrives, it, it's 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 not as it's not as promising or as exciting as as we as we've been led to believe. So it's it it, it is going to be disappointing. It is going to be. I, I I don't think there's I don't think there's any. I think talking about Stephen Kenny in terms of you know is he the right man for the job at this point is there's no point to that. I think he is the manager. Uh, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think you have to be. I don't, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any. There's there's any solution out there that would justify getting rid of him. That's the thing. I think you you know you you as I said. I think whether it's Stephen Kenny or somebody else. I think this is this is the way Irish football should be going. I think they need to be planning for something like this and for planning for who is going to be the next manager after Stephen Kenny after the European qualifiers are where are ideally after qualification, but that needs to be part of the plan. And I think moving, like kind of getting, you know, having some knee jerk reaction and saying, right, let's get in uh, Sam Allardyce or, or whoever um, to get some results. That's not going to be, um, that's not going to, that's not really going to change the mood. And I think Stephen Kenny has done enough in previous games, and it may happen again in, in, against Scotland, that you know there's been enough for people to feel right. We're we're enjoying this in a way that we haven't enjoyed Ireland football, Irish football matches for a long time. Because you know this does the run of run of disappointing results does does uh, predate um, predates predates Stephen Kenny too, and and the run of watching Ireland and and watching Ireland play in kind of grim. Uh, I'd have, if, if if you'd offered me that beforehand, I'd have bitten your hand off style football matches. Um, you know that that would that was I would say a lot worse and had no had no long term plan except. And again, you could argue if this is the right way or the wrong way, but I would say that that, that was the wrong way. I had no long term plan except let's let's scrape a result whatever way it is and move on. Whereas Stephen Kenny. At its at its best is looking to do something a lot more than that. I would say that the last two results, last two performances, it's been hard to glimpse what that is, and that is that is the problem. Dion, if you assume that Stephen is for the moment safe in the job, um, and look anecdotally at matches and and online, certainly you hear a lot of people saying, you know, maybe he needs to change the tactics, change the system. Um, like, look, that's a difficult question to answer because, as Jerry said earlier. It's difficult to know what the alternative to the system is, but I mean, looking at looking at it from your own point of view at the minute, do you stick or twist with with, with this 
tactical thing is is it too far gone or can he turn around now and, and kind of maybe try something else I think he can always uh, he can always try he can always try something else I think the again like you know we, we saw last night the difference I do think ultimately a lot of it there are there are tactical variations that he can do but, but ultimately the problem for Ireland does come down to uh, again the same and this is when you come back to how long have you got it comes down to the players we have now you saw the difference Jason Knight made uh, yesterday compared to not being in the team against Armenia uh, and that would seem to have been a mistake not to play him looking on how he played in in previous games as well you know when you think of uh, you know, just the way Knight has the way Knight, the impact Knight has made since he's since he's been involved is 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 significant. So that seemed like I don't think we have enough quality players to kind of uh, whether he was pacing and whether he was thinking we've a lot of matches. I don't know, but I think it's it's he's a player that makes a difference. So ultimately, the tactical differences. I like obviously you know midfield and midfield being overrun. Is is something that is an issue, and that is something that needs to be addressed. But equally, who who is going to actually do that in a way that is is really that makes it makes it makes a, a significant difference to to the to the tactics, and that that is the problem. I think that is that is Ireland's problem. Um, and if you again, if you look at say Ukraine's game against Wales. Uh, you look at um, you look at Jack Grealish even playing for England. I, I got the minute I, those words are coming out of my mouth. I, why did I say that? Um, but you look at the difference one player makes, and I think again we can talk an awful lot about what Stephen Kenny is trying to do, and I think it is the right thing he's trying to do. But the absence of star quality in the Ireland team is is as much as anything else the difference. Between some, you know, between good results and bad results. Like we had star quality on on the sideline as well not too long ago, Dion in Anthony Barry, who we touched on at the start of the show this morning as well. Like we're looking on with envy now at, at Belgium, who've managed to nab him from us, and as we mentioned earlier, they won six one against Poland last night. Like, is it is it too facetious to maybe look at Anthony Barry's exit and, and the results that have happened since as 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 coincidental, or is it is there something there? I, I think to look to look at Belgium's results and go, my God, what a genius Anthony Barry is, uh, is 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 a stretch. I think it really is a stretch. Like look at the players uh, Belgium have. I think that's that's the key thing. Rather than saying, my God, he's working wonder. He worked wonders with Ireland, and now he's working wonders with with uh, with a Belgium team with 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 you know. Uh, just you know, De Bruyne. I'm looking at Hazard, uh, Tielemans. You know, there's. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not comparing like for like. I so I don't think we could we can put Belgium up. You know, put Belgium in the kind of Anthony Barry, the you know pro Anthony Barry uh, section. But I would say that clearly he had an idea. You know what you hear from people close to the Iron Team is that he was, you know, he was very, uh, he was a, a significant presence, and he had significant ideas in terms of how Ireland were going to play. Equally, 
um, you know, it wasn't like we're, we're going we're going back to we're going back to for three years now since Ireland won a competitive match at home. That also encompasses the Anthony Barry era. So it's not as if we've we have we we have just come out of a golden age. I think it's uh, I think there are lots of reasons. It, it, it's it's possibly one factor, um, and I think you know in that strange dynamic that makes up football teams, coaches who players feel are making are actually delivering a message they like and they understand can make a huge difference. Um, I'm not saying that that's not happening now, but clearly it was happening with Barry. Um, but I also feel like it is conceivable that in the game against Scotland, having experienced these two bad results, I think there's something in, like the Ireland team is still such a, a fragile kind of thing that it, it's likely to kind of, there's, there, there's every chance you get some kind of response, some kind of heroic 1-1 against Scotland <laughs> is 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 on the cards. And again, you know, you go back to some of these matches, you go back to the Serbia game where we had a heroic one one. Uh Bazunu was really the difference was well, was the player yeah. who kept us in it. Can, just to, to, if you're if you're in in the camp, right, and you're thinking about the draw is going to be in October, we're going to be in the third pot, so it's going to be tricky. Top two teams automatically qualify and there's still some hope for those teams who finish third in their group uh by way of playoff so it's not dead. It's still possible that we can go to the Euros, even though the campaign <laughs> hasn't, hasn't even started. The draw hasn't it's been made. So it's possible, not dead. Sure. You're like you're like you know. If, it's like Rob Shepherd with Graham Taylor and you know the impossible job. Like you're really you're really Uh-oh. bringing pessim- pessimism to a new level. The draw hasn't even happened, and you're saying we're not we're not out of it yet. Exactly. Uh, but the one thing that you might be hopeful about is that perhaps. Uh, by that stage, Bazuna will be playing week in, week out for Southampton. That would be big. Um, so that he's your number one. And then a few other players are playing week in, week out football, ideally in the Championship and some of them in the Premier League. Um, and maybe Obafemi needs to be in the starting lineup. I don't know. Is there enough in the in the personnel that are missing, Adam Ida, Andrew Omavamadeli, that you can say when the, when the heat comes on in the qualifiers that the team will look a little bit different and that this stuff is ultimately still... Uh, while it's a replacement for friendlies and there is something good on offer at the end of it um, these are still friendlies and so we should maybe rein in the pessimism a bit well again that comes back to how the tournament was talked up I don't think there's any huge enthusiasm for the Nations League I think uh, um, like that's like somebody I was somebody was trying to persuade me that we wouldn't miss the World Cup in June because we'd have the Nations League and uh, um I think that's you know that's clearly not the case. Um, it's you know it is it isn't something that people get very excited by. It's a bit like the FA Cup though, in that it's it's a tournament that actually can frame that can actually can be used uh, for you know to to kind of drive a, drive a case against or to shape a case against a team or a manager, and you know whilst getting kind of reasonable or. Uh, Average results are going to not going to excite very many people. Ha- losing as has been ha- as been as as has been happening with Ireland is going to kind of make it harder for Stephen Kenny, and I think that is the case. So I do think um, Ireland, you know, a result against Scotland, a victory against Scotland would, would be quite important for him at this stage. Um, 
ultimately, you're right. Like when, uh, you know, people will be more um, engaged by by the qualifiers. There, we will go into it with the you know that that borderline pessimism, optimism that you, you that you lay out. Um, and there is again, there is uh, it, it, there is there are many opportunities to qualify for it, as you said. Like you know, um, you know we we like you go like Ireland missed out through a playoff the last time. Uh, it is some it is a, it is a competition now that even teams where Ireland are, and I think this is this is one of the things that has been dawning on people very slowly is, is just how far Ireland have fallen. So when we when we uh, say, you know, you shouldn't lose to Armenia, shouldn't lose to Luxembourg, shouldn't lose to a uh, Ukrainian side that's uh, made 10 changes and has just lost out on a, on a, in a game that is was far more important to them. Um, you keep coming up against, well, well, why shouldn't we? What What have Ireland got? What is Ireland? What 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 have Ireland got to be so certain that they actually uh, should be getting these results? And you look through the play, you look through what we have, and it's it's very hard to make any case. Now, when you when you you talk about players playing regularly, playing playing in the championship, that that will all make a difference. I don't think that stuff really, um, like Bazunu has. You know, I I think Bazunu playing in the Premier League would be great great for him i don't think that stuff ultimately matters that much in international football i think it's it's you you can uh as, as ukraine have kind of demonstrated because you know everyone was like well ukraine or before their their world cup you know the like people felt that they would really you know against scotland it was like oh they'll they'll struggle because they haven't they've been playing like there are factors outside uh outside um the kind of cut and thrust of club football that make a difference for international football. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet a lot on kind of right. We've got players playing in the championship. I think it's about what Stephen Kenny does with the players when he gets them together, and that's why Ireland. There's one. It's actually a reason why Ireland could sometimes be, should feel some kind of optimism because there is nobody in international fo- in international football really to fear. But equally, uh, when it doesn't happen, the questions. Are really best addressed to the to the manager and to to within the camp rather than saying, oh, you know, there's been a long gap between the end of the championship and these games, or the players aren't playing at a higher level. Ultimately, international football isn't really about those things. It's about what you can get um, a bunch of average players to do against usually another bunch of average players. I think your point about the the FA Cup being used as a, a stick to beat managers with at certain times um, is is very apt because what what happens if the results in the next two games aren't significantly better is that almost from the start of the qualifying campaign every match is a little bit of a referendum to the point where if it becomes clear we're not going to qualify or if there's a disaster along the way then the calls and the clamour for him to go will be very difficult to ignore so that's why these games are very very big games it's like just to to buy a bit of calm and buy a bit of peace and 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 try and change the mood music around at the moment because you know by by talking up this competition everybody is saying okay this is this is your team now let's see what you've got and at the moment the signs are are really bad so uh, there's a lot riding on the team selection for the weekend against Scotland is there anything in the current group that you would do to change Apart from, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, is there start Obafemi? Does that make a difference? 
I think it would. Uh, yeah, I think it could make a difference. Um, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's it, it, it's it's worth a shot. I think you know, like Jason Knight obviously uh, made a difference, and hopefully he will start again. Um, I, uh, I, I think you know there 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 are you know the injuries that the absences are gonna are gonna be a are gonna be a problem for Ireland at this stage. Um, Scotland, um, Scotland aren't very good. Like that is, you know, and it is going to be. I think we, we might we, we might be anyone who's seen Scotland play will, will would kind of come away from a kind of thing. God, Scotland really are a poor side, but I think at the same time um, we might again come face to face with our own limitations when we play them. Um, I just go back to that point about whether I like I guess you're like the, that these are a, you know a couple of bad results will add to the pressure. I would like to think that there is now some sense that there's no there's not much as I, like it's pretty fatalistic but you know there is there is uh there is not much point um in getting rid of Stephen Kenny um no matter what happens. Like you know, he's going to go into the European Championship. He's going to go into the qualifiers. At that stage, you may as well allow him to uh, um, may as well allow him to uh, continue for the duration of them. Because again, unless there is some outstanding alternative, I don't see what what the point of doing that is. Because you know. What are, what are we harking back to? This is again. This is and it's it's, it's a kind of negative argument in favour of Stephen Kenny, but it, like and it's the only one you can really make at the, uh, after a couple of results like this. But what are we what are we harking back to? Like the the, the second Mick McCarthy era, is that the golden age? You know the the um, there or, isn't a lot really where the team is or, so bad that they get hammered in every game when they eventually do qualify for a tournament. You know, like I, I agree with you. Really, fundamentally, it's just that um, very difficult to make any case other than the same <laughs> same story. Other than it could be, it could be other than it could be, it could be a lot. You know, it's a bit like uh, uh, you know, it's like the Forty Towers, like major in the Forty Towers. No, no, there's a when they say this is the worst hotel they've ever stayed in, and he says, no, no, there's a there's a place in Bournemouth, um, or whatever the line is, like. Uh, it's a bit like that. Like there is, there is a worse version. <laughs> there is a worse version of this Ireland team. There is a, a parallel universe. Yeah, it's not, where it's things, Northern Ireland. <laughs> well, there's, there's a parallel universe where things are a lot worse, uh, and uh, and that's that's the Hooray! best. On a, on, a, on a day like today, that's the best case you can make. Shane, you'd one more. We've time for one more. <laughs> yeah, no, just taking Dion. Like I know hindsight's hindsight's obviously twenty twenty, but uh, we were talking earlier about you know the fact that I guess Stephen Kenny at the start of the of the Nations League started talking about the fact that the ambition was to go on and win this group, and you can look back now and say you know did he make the right decision in saying that? Is it you know a positive thing to have great ambitions and lofty ambitions for this Irish team? Or was that setting the bar maybe a little bit too high and, and expectations maybe for the fans and the media at least a little bit too high? Again, I think he didn't have, given the way things had gone, he probably had to do something like that. I think having ambition is something that is uh, a part of Stephen Kenny's makeup. Um, you know, wherever, whatever job he's done, I think that's something, and I think that's something 
we want it from an Ireland manager uh, because the alternative is, you know, the trap. Like we we don't have the players. Uh, reductionist view that once we don't have the players, we can never actually aspire to do anything. Um, like my argument would be that we we don't have the players, but there aren't a lot of countries that do have the players. So we can actually aspire to try and do something as Stephen Kenny's teams have done at their at their best that actually excite people and make you think that something good is coming. I feel that given where he started, given how Ireland had kind of transitioned out of that into something encouraging, um, he had to kind of maybe talk it up. And I, think it, it, I think it's a genuine feeling with him too. I think he, he does believe that. And I think that's a, that's a noble thing and a worthwhile thing to, to have. But equally now on the back of... Uh, on the back of the last two results, you could say, "Oh God, why didn't he? Why didn't he talk us down?" I'm not sure if 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 Ireland had lost to Armenia um, and then Ukraine, I think no matter what, um, people would be complaining or would be rightly annoyed about it. And if Stephen Kenny had come into them saying, "Look, we don't have the players. We're going to do our best. Hopefully, we come away from with, from these games with something," people wouldn't necessarily go, "Well, fair play to him. He's." Uh, he knows that he knows that we're 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 not we're not up to much. They'd want they'd want something more. So I I think it's the right. I think it's the only thing he, he could do. And I do, as I say, I think it is actually what he believes, which is the most important thing. But there does need now to be some evidence uh, or something that for people to 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 grasp hold of. And I just think it hasn't been there. Last, you know, a lot, one of the things that's characterised a lot of the matches, even the ones that have been a little bit disappointing uh, under under Kenny, has been that kind of sense of okay, we're behind this team and we're we're still the supporters are really kind of pro what what Stephen Kenny is trying to do. Um, I think they there needed to be something last night to kind of kind of keep that uh, sense of optimism or, or hopefulness going, and and it wasn't there. Yeah. Hopefully it happens at the weekend. Dion, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, lads. It's Dion Fanning there. You can read his work in The Currency. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. You can follow Dion on Twitter, of course, as well. Um, so I don't know how you feel at the end of that, Shane. Do you feel better that you got it all off your chest or are you more depressed? I'm, I'm, I'm slightly more depressed, but um, Scotland awaits on Saturday. Glad and, to be uh, of service. A 3-0 win. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the optimism. Mark says, senior players letting the team down big time. Hendrick, Miles off it in the last two games. Collins, Obafemi and Knight, all really impressive players. We can't keep playing players that aren't doing the job against smaller teams. OTB, Kenny fan club, hack spoofing nonsense to cover for an F manager, says Con Chronic. That's like a, a, a word soup of um, <laughs> abuse. got them all in there. If you manage any other team, he'd be sacked by now. He's not won even one meaningful competitive match. Stephen G says, didn't be able to make Leeds Championship players much better, though, versus the argument that we simply don't have the players. It's always a different job where you can uh, inject the team with um, energy. Uh, why was Roy Keane not offered the job, asks Mike. Uh, Sonny Irish says start from scratch employ coaches at grassroots levels with UEFA badges put money into the League of Ireland stop supporting start supporting Irish teams instead of the slavish EPL obsession I mean look we could have that conversation today but everybody accuses of ah you're ignoring the thing and it's like actually no the structural issues are the most important stuff and we keep getting away from the structural issues because we get distracted by everything else but ultimately football in Ireland has been mismanaged for decades 
and they need to get their house in order and let's see if the current board are any better than the previous boards and if they're actually able to do what they're supposed to be doing we will see a reminder OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today Shane good stuff thanks a million for that uh, tomorrow uh, is Adrian and Owen back from his jollies we'll be joined live in studio with the now departed Mead manager Andy McEntee departed from the Mead job as opposed to this mortal coil plus we'll have rugby chat with Alan Quinlan ahead of the URC semi-finals Karen Duggan will be on to talk about football OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar